This is episode 206 of Abohomora for November 12th, 2016. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Alohomora. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Kristen Keys. I'm Michael Harley, and our guest today is a familiar voice to some of you listeners who may have uh, listened to some of our recent bonus content for Cursed Child. It's our friend from MuggleNet.com, Mary! Hey! Whoa! Hi, guys. Um, I'm Mary, and I work um with the news and social media teams on MuggleNet. Sweet. Cool. We need Ooh. a lot of that news and social She's media. The best. Mm-hmm. Or where would MuggleNet be without that? Exactly. Not sure. Mary, what's your Hogwarts house? I'm a Slytherin. Yay! Some diversity yeah. on this show. Finally. Yeah. About <laughs> that. And uh, Mary, what's your Overmorning house? My overmorning house is Thunderbird. Cool. Does anybody care about that anymore? I'm a thund- I'm a Thunderbird. <laughs> I care. Nobody cares. I'm a, I'm a Thunderbird. People should care. It's like you know the way the Wizarding World is going. Yeah. These days. Did you guys see Slash that? Not. Did you see that new thirty second, fifteen thirty second spot for Fantastic Beasts? Where don't say no, what's I'm in not, it I'm, because oh, I've stayed them, away. Yeah. Oh, you've yeah. stayed completely away, huh? Yeah. Yeah, you're, I got you're the one pure. thing during the movie when they were doing the IMAX. That was like the first actual oh, yeah. trailer I've seen, and I was so pissed. <laughs> I was like, no, I've stayed away for so long. Oh, wow. But, so I've seen the one thing, and that's it. I've been staying away from everything else. Oh, well, I'll go over to Speak Beastie <laughs> and mention the thing I was going to say instead, I guess. Since I you should. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Don't do that. Plug for Speak Beastie. Our fellow go, podcast, yeah. if you're getting that's in. not in the doc. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I never miss a chance to plug them, especially now yeah. with Fantastic Beasts being. Oh yeah, oh, I mean, yeah this definitely. is this is the week. This is the week that uh, entire crowds. In fact, the day this is released, I will be seeing the film in New York with J.K. Rowling and 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 Eddie Redmayne, as well as a huge group of Muggle Letters. You're gonna be sitting. Right I will next be to there. Him. You guys are gonna be sitting See? right between them. I'll be sitting next to Mary. Woo! Yeah, I'm somewhere. I'm not sure. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I know there's, I know there's quite a few people from staff who are going, and I'm actually going up on Wednesday um, to help work the premiere um, on Thursday. But... Cool. That's awesome. <laughs> we well, I think most of our most of our group today hasn't been on the show for quite a while haven't we it's been a it's been a bit of a break for some of us uh speaking for myself i got a new job i'm a librarian again yay congratulations yay i'm working with teens at the um austin central library in downtown all all of you alohomora listeners who are austinites you can come visit me at the downtown location yes Yes. Don't you mean awesomeites? I mean, oh ho, wow, well, oh ho, well, sure. Yeah, we could. We, I've never heard anybody <laughs> say that, but sure. I'm so I'm so cool. I'm so like sad. I missed you. I was just in San Antonio a couple of weeks back. I know. I know, uh, and Kat but it's was nice so... to be reconnected, Kristen. I I don't remember the last time you and I were on a uh, an Alohomora. Probably that cursed child, maybe. Yeah, it's been a while. Because the last one I was on, it's just me and Allison, and we had two. Um guest host with us yeah 
but it's thrilled to be back. Mary, we are thrilled to have you. Yes, especially because we have a very uh, fascinating topic that we'll be talking about today on Alohomora, and we wanted to make sure we had a guest who was passionate about this topic and um, wanted to majorly contribute to this because we will be discussing illness and special needs in the wizarding world. It's a topic that we've touched on a lot throughout our chapter discussions of the Harry Potter series, and we've kind of taken some of that discussion and collected it here for today. Before we get into our discussion for this episode, um, we'd like to notify you that this episode was sponsored by Crystal Hoover over on our Patreon. You can become a sponsor of Alohomora on Patreon for as little as $1 a month, and we will continue to release exclusive tidbits over there uh, recorded at the time that we do each episode, as well as some bonus content that's not. Yay, Crystal! Yay! Thank you, Crystal. And uh, we have content that's exclusive for our sponsors. Just check it out. uh, www.patreon.com slash alohomora. And now it's time to jump into our discussion uh, on illness and special needs within the wizarding world. Now, the first thing I want to point out is that we've actually kind of given this uh, episode a few different titles in planning in the planning process. Uh, uh, disability, special needs, uh, special abilities. Uh, and Kristen, maybe you can weigh, on, weigh in on this too, because I know you have some expertise with this in the community. But uh, from what I have learned, that is still a... That is still a term that is being decided on and debated on within this community. Um, and Boys and forever. Yes. Everybody you ask will have probably a different p- opinion on what to call it. I frequently, for most of my life, have used the word disability. Um, and disability is not meant to be um, used in a negative way. Disability is actually meant to be usually is used as a word to acknowledge that the individual has needs that others may not, um, Mm -hmm. and that we should recognize those needs. But in on the same side of that coin, some individuals believe we should be using the term special needs uh, to indicate that the individuals are uh, there rather they're they're not so much a lack of ability as a unique ability. Yeah, and I guess. For me as well, I flip-flop between disability or special needs, but it's not, again, with, like, autism, as we both know, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd say it. I don't say a special needs child or a special needs adult. I say an adult who has special needs or an yes. adult who has a disability. I always say it that way. Um, me too. Just not, yeah. That That's my biggest pet peeve is people defining the person. Um, right yeah. away by saying they're an autistic child or something. No, they're, they're a child, a child with, with autism. autism. Yeah, yeah, that's so I flip flop between words, but I always put it in that way. Yes, yes. So if you hear us kind of jumping between terms, uh, we apologize. We do not mean to offend. Again, this is kind of a topic that is hotly debated and is still in the process of being mm-hmm. officially defined in many ways. Um, so, and Rowling in her mentions of, uh, these ideas did use the word disability via Pottermore. Um, so that's kind of the term that you might see crop up a little bit in this discussion, um, based on what Rowling has chosen to use. 
Um, and to, to kind of kick off the discussion, before we get into individual characters, uh, we thought it would be um, worthwhile to take a look at Rowling's very short but very informative uh, piece on illness and disability, which she added to Pottermore. And uh, yes. kind of explained a few things, kind of brought up a few more questions about how the uh, rules of the world work. And um, as Rowling put it, I pondered the issue of illness and disability very early in the creation of Harry's world. Did wizards catch colds? Could they cure illnesses that baffled muggles? Were there disabled wizards? What were the limits of wizarding medicine, or could it fix anything? Some of these questions went to the heart of the story because the theme of death runs through every volume of the Potter books. Having decided that magic could not raise the dead, even the resurrection stone does not truly return the dead to life, I then had to decide what might kill a wizard, what kind of illnesses they could catch, what injuries they might sustain, and which of the last two could be cured. I decided that, broadly speaking, wizards wouldn't have, would have the power to correct or override mundane nature, but not magical nature. Therefore, a wizard could catch anything a muggle might catch, but he could cure all of it. He, he would also comfortably survive a scorpion sting that might kill a muggle, whereas he might die if bitten by a venomous tentacula. Similarly, bones broken in non-magical accidents such as falls or fist fights can be mended by magic, but the consequences of curses or backfiring magic could be serious, permanent, or life-threatening. This is the reason that Gilderoy Lockhart, victim of his own mangled memory charm, has permanent amnesia, why the poor Longbottoms remain permanently damaged by magical torture, and why Mad-Eye Moody had to resort to a wooden leg and a magical eye when the originals were irreparably damaged in a wizard's battle. Luna Lovegood's mother, Pandora, died when one of her own experimental spells went wrong, and Bill Weasley is irreversibly scarred after his meeting with Fenrir Greyback. Thus it can be seen that while wizards have an enviable head start over the rest of us in dealing with the flu and all manner of serious injuries, they have to deal with problems that the rest of us never face. Not only is the muggle world free of such perils as Devil's Snare and Blast-Ended Scroots, the Statute of Secrecy has also kept us free from contact with anyone who could pass on Dragonpox, as the name implies, originally contracted by wizards working closely with Peruvian Vipertooths, or Spattergroit. <laughs> Remus Lupin's yeah. affliction was a conscious reference to bloodborne diseases such as the HIV infection with the attendant stigma. The potion Snape brews him is a keen to the anti-retroviral anti that will keep him from developing the full-blown version of his illness. The sense of apartness that the management of a chronic condition can impose on its sufferers was an important part of Lupin's character. And meanwhile, Mad-Eye Moody is the toughest or of them all, and a man who is very much more... Uh, who is very much more than his significant disabilities. I, I, I like this writing a lot. Uh, I think it's very cut and dry. It makes a lot of sense, um, at least now that she says it, that that is where the line was drawn. And I, I sort of like how, uh, as in, it's sort of reminiscent of uh, the other minister chapter, um, at the end of that chapter in, in book six, when... Uh, the prime minister says, "We, you, you guys have magic, right? You could, you could solve anything. You could do anything." In the and is it fudge? She's mm -hmm. just like, "Well, the other side has magic too." Uh, it just, you know, there are illnesses that can be cured. A lot of what Muggles would find uh, to be life-threatening can be cured. Fairly simple, you know, potion, magic, any any odd number of ways. But 
with that comes a set of even worse conditions that it's possible to be afflicted by. So I think that's fair, I guess, right? Yeah, to me it makes sense. It, it, this this reads very similarly to her her um, occasional mentions of the problems with that come along with a time turner. Um, and the issue that she introduced this thing that could solve all problems and then was like, okay, got to take that away now. Um, and that's in, when I say that, that discounts cursed child. Um, but <laughs> which, you know, <laughs> cursed child, that little that. plot, hole. that little giant <laughs> plot hole of a book. But, um, with that said, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think this is what, this is one of those things that makes, Harry Potter, I think, just so much more complex than a lot of fantasy that you see on the shelves that's coming out today and a lot of fiction that's coming out because she does acknowledge this rule that, hey, I I have this basic concept, magic, which I have to bridle or my world is not going to make sense. My right, She limits it. And, yeah. And, and you see such a... A tab, I guess, is tableau the right word? You see, such like a a, a diverse tablet tableau. Mm. I have mm-hmm. to work on that word. I'm <laughs> um, of uh, tapestry, you see, it's a diverse tapestry. There we go. Of characters uh, with various conditions, uh, such as, for instance, Mad Eye Moody, mm-hmm. um, who you know, I never, I never wondered that before. Like, oh man, why has he got a wooden leg? Or I guess in the movie they've turned it into more of a mechanical you know, replacement than a, than a wooden, mm-hmm. say, peg leg. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it just kind of didn't occur to me until she said this, but, but you have these characters who are dealing with these issues, and she did not only draw the line somewhere, but it's it's very illustrated, um, even in the, in the various books, uh, th- that there are characters, you know, just like every um, other sort of subset that you'd want to throw a character uh, into, uh, there are varying degrees, and there are groups of people uh, of different mindsets and different abilities and different sort of categories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Makes for good writing. Well, yeah, because I that's, you know, the, what I liked, too, of this piece of writing is that she specifically connected it to the overarching theme of Harry Potter of death and mm. kind of saying, like, she thought to herself, well, you know, if I'm already putting the stipulation that magic can't bring back the dead, that's naturally going to bring about other stipulations to convey the message of my story. Um, so I really like that she was just so mindful of that from the start uh, as she was developing those rules. But uh, you know, and 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 as 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 she mentions, and well, this this is kind of more one of the lighter points of the discussion that I thought was would be fun to just throw at first. But of course Rowling says in this piece that basically wizards can handle anything muggles can muggles encounter. Um and in, in things that muggles have solved or are, are are treating, wizards pretty much can take care of. Um like cancer. Well that's <laughs> that's questionable. <laughs> um the wizards have cured cancer. Well who knows? See, that's, and that's, yeah. that's an issue. See, that's where this, that's where this writing gets really gray. <laughs> Cause <laughs> we haven't, can- well, we haven't conquered cancer. Mm-hmm. So could wizards. Because what she was saying, I got gathered in the piece was that like, we can, we can handle the common cold and we can handle a scorpion sting. But 
we can't handle cancer yet. So, mm-hmm. I think I think wizards could. I I honestly think wizards could. I mean, there's always like unicorn blood, right? Keep you alive, even uh, but if you're an inch that's from a half light. The half-life, the cursed life. Yeah. Yeah, that seems yeah, like yeah, a really not great way <laughs> to handle there's always, cancer. There's always horcruxes, you guys, although I would advise it's you... really horrible one. solutions. <laughs> I, yeah, it's a cancer, yeah. But, but, you know, we know there's these things, these devices, these means that wizards use to extend their lives. But even on a more, say, simple front, um, you know, uh, other opportunities like transfiguration, right? You can maybe transfigure your bad cells, your cancer cells, into healthy ones. Um, there's, there's gotta be a way to, to achieve that or, uh, polyjuice, uh, turning into someone who's healthy and doesn't have cancer, you know, any, anything along those sort. You can kind of see how it would fit in, um, with what wizards are capable of. Do you um, think there's anything in, in textually that suggests that they couldn't handle cancer? I don't think so. Mary, Kristen, any? I mean, I guess the thing for me is, like, if you're talking about, like, wizards theoretically, you know, transfiguring cells, I mean, you have to think about the fact that within the muggle world, like, we have, you know, um, MRIs and CT scans and all manner of um, computer-generated um, imagery that we use... Um, for, you know, um, diagnostic purposes and that sort of thing that, you know, how, how in theory would a wizard or a witch be able to tell, oh, you know, this is benign or this is malignant, you know? Right, right. Mm -hmm. You have this, it's juxtaposed, this advancement, this ability to heal wounds with the flick of a wand is juxtaposed against their very medieval science aptitude. Uh, mm-hmm. right, like beakers, uh, but no microscope, um, no computers, no MRIs. That's a good, fair enough point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, but they, <laughs> they've just started examining the concept of stitches. Stitches. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, th- no, but think about it this way. Okay. Think about it this way. As long as there has been time, they have never needed stitches. Yeah, because and they there have... were a whole lot of things, a whole lot of things that could cut you 500 years ago that just don't aren't around now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so th- think about it that way. Like they've they've never needed stitches all this time, and you know when you think about going into it as a, a career and becoming a healer, for instance, what do those guys do day <laughs> day in day out? I mean, mm-hmm. just minor cuts and bruises. Like I, I you know, it, there's got to be higher level healing spells. And healing, learning uh, that these these people can do because it's 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 a career. Mm-hmm. And they might not have, for say, cancer stuff due to different environments as well. Mm. Yeah, so there's maybe, well, yeah, maybe that. they're not susceptible or something weird like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that yeah, because that that the the first of all listeners that wasn't the that, that wasn't the light topic i w- was meaning to bring up <laughs> cancer's not a light topic um no. what i meant to bring up because this is also a muddy area which uh one of our MuggleNet staff eleanor harrison insisted we talk about and i've actually heard this discussion brought up before and this this goes along with kind of more muddy definitions of illness disability and different conditions um but of course we in the muggle world have mostly conquered 
uh, issues of vision and needing glasses with things like LASIK surgery and contacts and such things mm-hmm. like that. So why do so many wizards wear glasses? Because uh, including our boy hero, Harry Potter, who never gets his vision corrected. Mastered it. Yeah, that's that's a that stumps me. <laughs> I'm stumped because I don't have an answer for you. Well, find another. Find I, would else. you trust like a wand <laughs> to on your eyes? It at your yeah. eyes? Sure, sure. Well, wizards seem to trust their wands in lots of other places. Uh, yeah. So I well in, in this in this writing. So Jake uh, JKR said or alluded to the fact that Mad Eye couldn't replace his eye because it had been. Magical cursed off. Yeah, cursed off. Yeah, yeah, magic magical means. But presumably you could heal, right? Your any part of your body the same way that Harry regrows his bones, which humans from my understanding don't do that. Uh so, you know, like there's a certain ability to to heal. I but the glasses just completely But a like, bone <laughs> is different from your eye and all like your optic nerves and everything dealing with that i don't know mm-hmm. a bone yeah. seems easier because you get a clean break you know it's oh it's it's easier to repair that bone than it is well your i mean nerve to, to, all the bones all the bones in harry's uh arm are removed though they're not just broken oh, in yeah. half where you can mend them with a you oh, know sure. they're he's regrown and there's presumably uh this like but it's like one giant this. it's like two bones yeah. that's it like your eye has so much more that's going on with it that's, yeah, but I, I don't see why it should be any different, really. That's interesting, like, though, Kristen, it, that you mentioned kind of nerves versus bones, because yeah. I th- like so far the things that kind of Rowling has defined um, as things that wizards can cure that muggles get are kind of more. They're not. N- most of them aren't based in more complicated systems like the nerves or mm-hmm. the cells. They seem to. Some of them are. Like I guess a cough would be, but the like the the things wizards seem to be able to fix more immediately are more based in the bone structure and the muscular structure and um, they're like little viruses yes and viruses and yeah like. and easy easily curable viruses uh, re- remind me if um this is probably i hope it's a movieism but uh harry doesn't still need glasses when he's crab uh or is it goyle right when in in year 2 that's a movieism where he has his glasses, but wait, doesn't he even take them off? Yeah, he takes he them off. Them he takes them off. Oh, and, and... so I'm um, again using. I hate using Polyjuice Potion as like the end all be all, but <laughs> think about that that magic, you know. And, and there's mm-hmm. got to be a hundred other things that are similar. That you you there you go. His eyes are fixed because there's somebody else's eyes. Um, but you know, like yeah, there has to be a, a way. Completely different person. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean the the magic is there to yeah. take because it's still within his you know the the part like, of uh, yeah I get what you're the saying body you... that his brain is controlling even I've... if it's not well his yeah brain. and that's I feel like getting... it would just mask yeah. it it wouldn't yeah cure that's it. that's getting into um uh, another particular character's um, illness <laughs> who we're going to talk about further now yeah, yeah um yeah. but um. <laughs> Yeah, that was just I I I mean personally the 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 the, ar- the argument I give for that is not necessarily canon based but more texturally based which is that like to be on to be frank glasses are a a a visual a visually interesting item mm-hmm. and they carry certain symbolism with them so 
it's I mean, you know, McGonagall, Dumbledore, Harry, many of the characters. All have, the characters that look cool. Yeah. Cool have glasses. So if you want Percy. to look at Percy, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, Mr. Weasley, I believe, wears glasses too, right? Um so mm-hmm. yeah. Glasses are yeah, they're I think they're more in the Harry Potter world, especially I think one of the you know, McGonagall's transfers to her animagus form, Dumbledore's uh kind of help with his very the, the the symbolism with his piercing blue eyes and looking through Harry and his half moon spectacles. Um they're interesting visually and they have certain representations. So I think that plus the fact that you know glasses kind of give you more of that medieval kind of olden time feel. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's possibly maybe wizards just keep them because they like the aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, my dad had LASIK, but he still has to use glasses for reading. Mm-hmm. So. See, there you go. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not a perfect. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. Yeah, and I so I agree with you, Kristen. I'm not going to tap my eye with a wand. <laughs> That's a horrible idea. Oculus <laughs> Reparo. You can repair glasses really well, though. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, w- the one thing I wanted to mention about this JKR thing about is the scorpion bite again because the way she words it, uh, quote, he would also comfortably survive a scorpion sting that might kill a muggle. Mm. Meaning, uh, he he being a wizard. So I'm wondering if this is because his blood is like more imperceptible to, or uh, more sus- susceptible to. Uh, his scorpion venom or it's just that he has a, a spell at the ready or a potion at the ready that could save him I, like I, it's got to be the latter right it can't possibly be that wizards on mass are just not as susceptible to scorpion stings mm. yeah it would have to be it would have to be the um either potion or a spell because i mean going on to the like the magical creature side of things like when Arthur Weasley was bitten by Nagini, he had to have um, blood replenishing potion. That's true. But we also have the thing with werewolves where muggles who are bitten by a werewolf usually die because they can't take the strain. But a, but a wizard can survive it and will just become a werewolf because the blood will be infected. So does it so work? The the... Is, so the blood of a wizard is sort of stronger in that way. But of course, a werewolf is a magical being. We're not talking about a right, mundane which beast. The line. So yeah. where does that? Does it go the opposite way? Where a mundane beast? Do do wizards also have like just extra protection? Yeah, against mm-hmm. regular old beasts and things. Your garden variety deadly scorpion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, yeah. So there's and you know and as we get into more of these characters, we are gonna see where this um this piece by Rowling on Pottermore is all it, it goes from being a good explanation to just barely sufficient um, <laughs> with some of the issues we've got. And, I can't wait. <laughs> and speaking of, we actually have a uh, audio boom from a very special someone. Uh, who brings Rowling's piece into question. So let's take a listen to that. Hi, Michael, Eric, Mary, and Kristen. It's Ariel. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm a writer for MuggleNet, and I also host for the sister podcast, Speak Beastie. I wanted to be on the show, but because of scheduling, that wasn't going to happen. 
but I, as someone who has personal stake in this topic, I did want to address a few things that I would have had I been able to record today. And I also wanted to pose a question to the hosts. So the way I was diagnosed, I have two chronic health conditions. Um, and I wasn't diagnosed until after the Harry Potter series had ended. And I never really looked at the series in terms of illness and disability because truth be told, I wasn't personally affected by it and never really had that mindset before. But having looked back on it, it's definitely something that I think about much, much more. And it's a question I wish I could have posed to JK Rowling a long time ago. And she kind of addressed it with Pottermore and said that, you know, all muggle ailments have cures in the wizarding world. And I think that's a bit too broad and vague and kind of swept under the rug a bit. And we do, of course, have Lupin and Mad-Eye Moody. Lupin having his chronic health condition and Mad-Eye Moody with his disabilities. And they address that to a certain degree with Lupin and his potion and Mad-Eye Moody in his walking stick and his accessible broomstick. And it it kind of gets a bit disappointing because there is not a lot of inclusivity in the media for chronic illness and disability in a way that's not like a lifetime movie uh, with plot devices and how it drives other able-bodied characters. So I, I would love to see more of that in J.K. Rowling's future works that being Fantastic Beasts. And it also makes me think of, you know, what in the wizarding world w would have been better or more efficient at tackling chronic illness or disability? Like, what would a magical wheelchair look like? What would all sorts of these things... Why are they so much more effective at all of this? And so I guess my question for you is, what do you think about how they handled chronic illness and disability as a whole, and what can Joe do better from here? Um, sorry, I couldn't be on the show with you guys, but I'm looking forward to hearing your discussion based on what I've said and what I've asked. Uh, good luck, and I'll talk to you all later. Okay, so first of all, I think that what Ariel said about um, disability having been swept under the rug, I think that's um, definitely accurate. I mean, for me personally, um, I was born prematurely and still have some residual issues because of that, um, as well as um, mental and learning disabilities. Mm -hmm. And so I think from the standpoint of um, chronic illness specifically, because um, we've seen we've seen a few different um, physical ailments, I think, um, chronic illness, and especially invisible illness, um, is a major thing that isn't really, um, addressed within the series. Like, we have Lupin and his lycanthropy, and that's, you know, supposed to be a metaphor for HIV-AIDS, but, you know, what else is there? What other, um, conditions might wizards and witches have that, you know, might not be apparent, um, from their physical appearance? So I think that's the main question that I have. Yeah, I think this the kind of what Ariel said about sweeping it under the rug is that this piece kind of this Pottermore piece kind of does that in that it doesn't like as we brought up with cancer and other um, issues 
previously, and as we're going to talk about, there's a blind spot. Yeah, yeah. There's there are other and there are other characters that we're going to discuss as we go along here that I think are meant to actually be metaphors and parallels for certain illnesses and disabilities. But um, there's also the issue of while those things are parallels in the wizarding world, do those disabilities themselves also actually exist in the wizarding world? Um, the example that I um, think of is uh, of, uh, prominently is Ariana Dumbledore, and that I read her as a as a metaphor for for autism. She can also easily be read as a as a um, as a parallel for lots of uh, disabilities, and um, I think like you know while that's you know there to represent kind of uh, diff- various mental neurological disabilities uh does autism exist in the wizarding world does down syndrome exist in the wizarding world does ms exist in the wizarding world there are all kinds of different ailments that aren't brought up in that way um i love that Arahill addressed to the the issue of a wheelchair like is there a magical wheelchair yeah she mentioned the accessible broomstick which i thought was awesome um yeah and isn't it's, just, it's is moody's nice to remember that is moody's broomstick accessible in the book or is it just that way in the movie because he rides it like he ride he has that special like foot hole. place to put his leg yeah that's that's different from like i don't remember that being in the book but i could be you wrong know, um there are i think brooms just naturally have foot pedals in the books to be honest if you if you read carefully whenever they're describing a broom i think it's actually maybe so maybe it's in the movie that that was the first time they had really depicted it illustrated that you know because all the other brooms were just brooms yeah i think Um, quidditch through the ages might might also define foot pedals being part of a broom um, yeah, even looking at um, like the um, studio tour with the photo opportunity with the brooms, like on the green screen, there's a um, like a sort of foot pedal sort of thing, like kind of like a stirrup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's so that's well, in the wheelchair that made me think <laughs> that made me think of Cursed Child because isn't um, isn't Amos in a wheelchair? Yeah, Amos is in a wheelchair, and there's also, I think, mention of when they're talking about, um, can't remember the name of it now, but the, um, like, the nursing yeah. home. Um, they're talking about, like, um, the old people with their, like, wheelchairs and walkers and stuff at some point, um, and, like, how they're, like, causing all the, like, chaos and whatever when the um, kids come in and see the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, he um, he lives in St. Oswald's home for old witches and wizards. If you care to take Christian like old, old, that's, old that's yeah, yeah, just around. old people. They're, just, they're old. <laughs> um, the uh, if you can bewitch a car to fly, uh, my guess is that you could bewitch a, a wheelchair to fly, um, and that would be pretty cool. Yeah, Amos's wheelchair is not depicted to have any magical abilities in the Sage Show, but um, at least as far as I'm aware from the script. But uh, yeah, I feel like a wheelchair could easily be magic to assist you be you could set it in motion yes be, well yeah because there's there are various individuals who use wheelchairs who it, it it it's harder for them to operate a wheelchair than others um and different wheelchairs that have various special bells and whistles for different individuals depending on their needs 
Um, mm-hmm. So I feel like, yeah, wheelchairs should be a way more awesome in the wizarding world than just a wheelchair. Um, if they even have them, which cursed, I, I don't, cause I don't remember seeing wheelchairs in the seven books. Um, I can't recall just off no. the top of my head seeing a wheelchair no. used in the Wizarding World. So the only instance of a wheelchair, um, even in the films, was that one um, instance after McGonagall mm. um, came back, and she was in like kind of the like wooden-looking wheelchair, and people always use that image, like talking about uh, Maggie Smith having had um, breast cancer, and I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, yeah, and that's. When is this? That's what movie is Order this? of the Phoenix. And that's it's 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 um it's kind of unsure because she she was, you know, she was going through treatment at the time. And um mm-hmm. so people have people have pondered if the photograph is actually meant to be um like evidence that the scene where she was taken out by Umbridge was cut. But other people have said, well, no, that's just her sitting to the side relaxing because she's reading a daily prophet um sitting in the chair but i mean the cast has talked about how fascinating the props were and that they were all fully detailed so she was probably just sitting there relaxing in between takes reading (laughs) so but yeah that's and then then of course that scene isn't didn't make it into the film anyway um but before we get more into the details of each character i thought it was worthwhile to mention um jk rowling's mother Anne rowling because as as rowling herself has discussed in many an interview her mother um was uh a victim of multiple sclerosis and died when rowling was very young and rowling has said that the experience she went through with watching her mother um kind of succumb to this disease was uh, very affecting to her and very much something that shaped Harry Potter. Um, mm. And so I just thought it was worthwhile to to point that out. For those of you who are um, unaware, multiple sclerosis, if you haven't read more on the disease, it's a degenerative disease um, that attacks the nerve system and basically breaks down the communication between the body and the brain. Um it has a multitude of side effects and it can actually attack the body in various ways. Um, from the little details that Rowling has revealed, it sounds like her mother's was a progressive uh, multiple sclerosis, meaning that um, it just kept escalating. But the interesting and bizarre thing about multiple sclerosis is that there can be periods and probably the thing that makes it very difficult, extra difficult for not only the individual but their families to deal with is that there are periods between symptoms where nothing is happening at all. And Mm. the individual can seem like they've even gone completely back to good health. Um, In in addition to that, there are also, in between those periods, the individual can lose major functions um, that cannot be returned to them as the disease continues to attack. Um, yeah, so this um, this article that's on the national org site mm-hmm. uh, that's linked to uh, in our doc, and we should definitely put it into the show notes. Yes. Um, the title of the story uh, or the writing is I Miss My Mother So Much. 
uh, by J.K. Rowling, and it, it really does talk about it was a rapidly progressive uh, M- version of MS, and her mother died when her mother was 45. Mm-hmm. Um, and so diagnosed at 35, and she died at 45, and, and, and that obviously, it's, it's actually, um, you know, just really upsetting uh, watching Joe talk about reading, you know, sort of how full of life her mother was uh, and how her mother fought uh, essentially to retain normality uh in the in the, you know in the early years of of the disease and how eventually it became impossible so um but it's it's worth reading because uh it's it's joe's writing and it actually just continues to shed light on what a unique and strange and quite scary disease ms is uh and and this uh story was written actually um for uh to to gain funding and to gain awareness and to gain and sort of change sort of policies in Scotland public policy and you know in in terms of certain drugs that were more difficult to find i think back in uh was it 2001 2005 um the early 2000s so joe did a lot of this writing and a lot of this talking about ms and a lot of traveling uh she very early became a patron to the ms uh society um in britain uh as a result of of all of this but it, it was um she wrote the story to make change happen mm-hmm. i think then this the, uh, the uh, one of the quotes that was pulled from her piece um that i think is uh, really important to keep in mind especially with some of the characters that we're going to discuss that rolling wrote is it was not only the rapid progression of the illness that affected my mother and us her family it was the rapid deterioration of the quality of her life her self-esteem her independence quality of life is something we must all fight for in every country around the world um, and of course, uh, Rowling continues to do that with uh, such uh, organizations as Lumos, as well as uh, the Anne Rowling Clinic, which she uh, donated to, started up, and named after her mother. Um, but I put that here because I think it's really important to keep in mind uh, as we go through these different characters and how we read them. Because we, I think we have all come to the conclusion through this reread experience that Rowling never does anything just because in Harry Potter, or really with anything that she does. Um, right. And uh, I think it's just important to keep that context in mind because while we can't always, uh, you know, perhaps examine material through the lens of auteur, auteur theory. Uh, where what whatever the writer or director's intention was, but I think in this case that's very important um, as we go through these characters. And so the first one we're going to talk about that we've got on our list here is Ariana Dumbledore. We have now had extensive conversation on her in the Deathly Hallows chapter, so listeners, make sure and head over to alohamora.mugglenet.com uh, where you can actually check out our archive of the reread and you can head over to the chapters that specifically um, discuss Ariana and we've got a lot more discussion on her but I thought it was worthwhile to bring her up again um, especially because for me Ariana was a shocking inclusion because I read so much of my personal life experience in the Dumbledore's story um, and I was not expecting to see that particular part of my life 
mirrored in Harry Potter. Um, mm. It was just the the thing that really got me was just how the Dumbledore's actions to protect Ariana were so desperate and were so misinterpreted by the public. Mm. Um, and I thought that was yeah. such an important and again, surprising piece that I just was not expecting to see show up um, in Harry Potter. And, you know, Kristen, I, I imagine you can speak more to that too, just because you, you've also worked a lot with individuals with disabilities in specifically in the autism community. Um, I mean, their families. Definitely. And I kind of put in here, um, the way they always kept her hidden from everyone. I see this a lot as it relates, um, to a lot of my families that they feel just due to society rules and everything like that, that they're embarrassed to bring them out into the community, um, or anything like that. They always want to mm -hmm. keep them shut away in the house because they feel other people in the outside just don't understand. So that's what I kind of come in and help them do. There's been so many kids. I mean, I had one kid I worked with who was 14 who'd never been bowling or had gone to the movies. He'd been through the McDonald's drive-thru, but had never actually been to a McDonald's. So I was like, well, mm -hmm. we're going to do all of this. Um, <laughs> and he was fine. He did great. Uh, so it's, but it's the fear that the parents have of all the judgment from the outside that that's what I really see with this family as well is that they're always just keeping her hidden. They don't want people to see her, how she's acting or anything like that. Well, and the, I find this all very fascinating. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Go, go on, Michael. Oh, I was just going to say that the, the added thing that, that the added element of, um, of Ariana's story in Deathly Hallows, um, and it, you know, such a, shame that this was left out of the films i actually consider this more egregious of a of a dropped plot point than the marauders from prisoner no um, don't i do i do i do i really do because it's 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 just so much more unexpected um in so many ways yeah. and it's such it it like and really the way that the movie deals with the dumbledore family is so disjointed and you're just like well i guess i'm gonna have to read the book because i have no idea what's going on here <laughs> um <laughs> okay that's fair but that's fair i i think what's what the other element that's so important to ariana's story is the mention that the dumbledores keep her locked away because they're worried that she will be put um in the incurable ward at St. Mungo's and that there's no treatment for her because she's a danger to the magical community because she has bursts of magic in her tantrums right. that break the statute of secrecy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an excellent parallel in that kind of what you were talking about, Kristen, mm -hmm. families with individuals with disabilities have such a hard time bringing their, bringing their family members out in public because there's, there is so much judgment in every action mm -hmm. um, as you go out. And you there no outing is fun. <laughs> There's to, When you start doing outings, they are exhausting. And for years, mm -hmm. they can be exhausting. Mm -hmm. Some families never make it to the point where outings are enjoyable affairs. Yeah. Um, I am one of the lucky families that I can... We can take my brother, Charlie, who I, I've mentioned many times on the episode, who is now, oh, 25. And um, I mean, but... Last time I went to visit them, I wanted to go out to a restaurant. We went out. Charlie was a little butt the whole time. <laughs> um, and that's, he does that sometimes because mm -hmm. he doesn't want to go out sometimes. Um, 
and he and, and consequently he may he does odd behaviors while he's out to mm-hmm. get attention yes attention. and to express his dis- yes attention seeking is a big <laughs> is a big thing in the in the autism community mm-hmm. um and so and that coupled with the very real concern that these individuals don't have the proper care and treatments that they need out there for them mm-hmm. is still a very uh a very major reality for individuals with disabilities um when my brother was diagnosed my parents were told to just put him in a, a home a group home and be done with because there was nothing they would be able to do Ugh, that's and awful. that's how things were wow, back yeah. in, and that was just the that was the early 90s it's mm-hmm. crazy mhm and for many, and my, my, my family was lucky because my parents were both nurses and they know how to navigate the medical world. Mm-hmm. And that gave them a huge advantage mm-hmm. with Charlie. Not every family has that advantage. Um, right. It's, it's a, it's an uphill battle and there are so many things against you. And I think it's interesting that in these, in these small snippets of Ariana's story, rolling highlights that even in the wizarding community, there, is still a uh, lack of proper services for all individuals mm-hmm. in medical yeah, care. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Uh, reading her pieces on you know getting trying to get the the country to make changes for available drugs, available care for patients suffering from MS, you can see the very real parallel between Ariana Dumbledore. She never got the help she needed, and you can imagine that. If the Wizarding World were more up to scruff, uh, they would have specialists who could deal with her particular case of the the bursts of magic and would be able to work with her and have sort of, you know, therapeutic remedies, uh, at, at least to make it safer for Ariana to live, to survive, to not, to not die, not, to not succumb to her, her, accidents well and isn't it interesting too that the the the, the, she has what what the book describes as bursts of uncontrollable magic and Mm -hmm. in a way isn't it like wouldn't that be interesting if there was something like if if wizards had bothered to find out if there was something positive about her bursts of magic or some way to harness that and make it turn it into something good um because i would hate i would hate to like the idea that they would hook her up to a machine that runs so much better when she's having a burst of magic, but mm-hmm. yeah, no, I mean, not a, I, not like I a Monsters Inc. type thing, but I saw like a Monsters Inc. sort of thing, like. But I mean, I mean more in the there there the the idea that you know how and that's that goes back to how we term disability versus special needs versus special ability, right. and the idea that maybe these differences in these individuals is not something negative but something positive and that there's actually something worthwhile about these there's there are many studies about autism that suggest that actually individuals with autism in in kind of caveman times gave them distinct advantages um yeah that others did not have um when so i i also so can can you refresh my memory or i i might have missed an ariana discussion or two um, but reading the character as autistic did not occur to me until this episode. Um, my thoughts as to her, you know, uncontrollable bursts of magic 
came from the fact that she was suffered physical trauma when she was sort of coming of age. Um, and that, you know, sort of the, the magic that would normally have begun to manifest itself, uh, was corrupted essentially by the physical trauma. Um, and so I saw it as being, you know, just sort of, it, it, it was very physical damage that was causing the, these bursts, almost as if you suffer, uh, head trauma and thereafter have, uh, fits and seizures. Oh yeah, I think that that's the thing about Ariana is, and you know, as a reminder to our listeners, she, uh, even though I personally use autism as the parallel, that's because of my personal read. But you can see, mm-hmm. you can easily um, match her up with a variety, yeah, of, different. of special needs. Mm-hmm. Um, she can easily be compared to uh, cerebral palsy, to. Um, uh, she can, there are many things about MS that actually can compare to her. Mm. Um, I use the, the reason I see that particular parallel with my personal experience is that Charlie was actually physically abused by teachers and caretakers, um, okay. who we left him with. And he's, he's gone through a lot. It's kind of amazing that he's so well adjusted and he does have PTSD mm-hmm. and his, and that internalized in him and created these outbursts that were catastrophic. Um, Charlie would have, out, he would have physical outbursts that lasted for an hour, mm-hmm. um, and required restraint, my parents to restrain him. It was, it was such an impractical way of living, but it was the only thing we knew to do. Cause once you um, get to that point, you can't stop. You can't go back. And that's yeah. what it reminds yeah. me of her as well with those outbursts of, you know, they will maybe want to, but they're just already so far gone that, I mean, you just have mm-hmm. to ride it out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, luckily for Charlie, there have been, um, we've, he, poor thing, he's been tested on so many medications and we finally found a medication balance that really works for him and keeps him tempered. And he's also taken the initiative of his own self to learn how to manage his anger um, and it's been a, an amazing transformation. And of course, now that he's 25, his frontal lobe is fully developed. And mm-hmm. I'm, fa- I'm fascinated to see how that will affect the rest of his life because the frontal lobe is where, cho- mm-hmm. uh, your good decision making is housed in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why when you turn 25, you start making some, some of us start making better decisions. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, huh. and that's making a lot of sense now. Yeah. So, that is, uh, that, that's kind of, um, that's where I see that parallel with our, and, and, and within the family situation, the idea that the, you know, their father was, was defending her against these boys who attacked her and got sent to Azkaban because he couldn't properly explain what was happening. And t- the other thing to consider is that Ariana's timeline, her story takes place in the late 1800s to the, ner- or the early 1900s, which is a especially catastrophic time for individuals with disabilities. Um, so factor that in as well. And you've got a very, very difficult family situation um coupled with as as Kristen put here it's excellent Kristen, that you put society rules Mm -hmm. um because that's that that would have been an even bigger issue back then Mm, definitely Um, so yeah i think i think what you said Kristen, though too about families being so fearful of being sharing their experiences because people don't understand i think is just we live in an age now where we can share everything and i think there's 
a certain level of understanding that's slowly coming into the public consciousness about individuals with disabilities. We're mm-hmm. seeing a little more representation here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is, which is very exciting for those of us in the, in the community and being a support in the community. The other major, um, piece why I bring up Ariana is because, uh, she kind of, she, she, she's very important to Dumbledore's character arc. And as I mentioned in the episode, Dumbledore makes, um, the choice to, um, come back to his family, but he is a ill-equipped caretaker and Aberforth is much better suited to it. And Dumbledore eventually kind of departs again and ignores his family responsibilities. And of course, Grindelwald is factored into that as well. And I, I, I feel that it's just important to, when you, when you consider how you feel about Dumbledore, be careful um, how you view his treatment of his family, because those of us who are siblings of individuals with disabilities have a lot of difficult choices to make in life about how we live our own lives. Um, parents are face those same choices. And um, just be careful how you judge Dumbledore with that partic- particular aspect of his life. Um, hmm. We kind of face a lot of all or nothing decisions mm-hmm. um, with do we go live our lives or do we give up ourselves for our family members? Um, and it's not as easy mm-hmm. a, an answer as, as one might assume. Um, but yeah, that's, I thought, I think that Ariana is an excellent example of not brushing these more complicated ideas under the rug on Rowling's part. Um, and actually bringing them to the forefront to make them a very important aspect of the Harry Potter story. Um, I think it's one of the more successful attempts at that. I mean, I think it's interesting from the standpoint of um, looking at it um, as autism necessarily, because in my mind, I've always seen it, and I believe we're going to be talking about this a little bit later, but... um, in relation to more of a um, mental condition such as um, schizophrenia mm-hmm. is more how I've always thought about it. And so I think it's interesting because even though wizards and witches, and we discussed this earlier on in the topic, even though they can, um, you know, cure all manner of, you know, what have you, they still have some deficits. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting to see that... Um, Joe recognizes that as well. Yeah, and that gets into that mix of, well, if this condition, whatever it may be of Ariana's exists, like, is she, does she actually have one of these disabilities that we in the muggle world have, or does she have, it's implied that what she has is wizard-based. It's magical. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. But it's brought on by very real yeah. trauma. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and I think, and we've had com, we had commenters mention this on the main site when we discussed Ariana in more in depth, but that the, that's kind of the brilliance of Rowling's writing in this section is that it's left ambiguous what her trauma is and what exactly her symptoms are. Um, because that allows the reader to impose their own personal experience on that rather than say, well, she, she's a symbol for this or this or this definitively. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like she did with Lupin. Yes. Who 
I think is we you know is our next is our next character to talk about and I think is probably you know we've mentioned Lupin already many times before we've even gotten to him probably because he might just be one of the most successful portrayals of a more major character who addresses these issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to s- so I'm, I'm gonna read. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll read these two quotes from uh, yeah. These are the two quotes uh, that we have pulled from J.K. Rowling's thoughts on Remus Lupin, uh, which are on Pottermore. And uh, I'm just going to read the two quotes now. Lupin's condition of lycanthropy, uh, being a werewolf, was a metaphor for those illnesses that carry a stigma like HIV and AIDS. All kinds of superstitions seem to surround blood-borne conditions, probably due to taboos surrounding blood itself. The wizarding community is as prone to hysteria and prejudice as the muggle one, and the character of Lupin gave me a chance to examine those attitudes. Remus Lupin's, uh, this is the second quote, Remus Lupin's affliction was a conscious reference to blood-borne diseases such as the HIV infection with the attendant stigma, the potion that Snape brews him, we read this earlier actually, Michael, it's at the end yes. of, uh, at the end of the thing, but I'll, I'll, it bears repeating. Uh, Remus Lupin's affliction was a conscious reference to bloodborne diseases such as the HIV infection with the attendant stigma. The potion Snape brews him is akin to the antiretroviral that will keep him from developing the full-blown version of his illness. The sense of apartness that the management of a chronic condition can impose on its sufferers was an important part of Lupin's character. So we have Remus Lupin, whose uh, Latin name literally means werewolf, uh suffering from lycanthropy uh and this is something that i i think not only it's a big deal and it's important in the book he's introduced in prisoner of azkaban but we begin to see throughout the course of the seven book series how remus uh his identity is continually driven um as a result of his illness and actually it might be dumbledore's fault dumbledore sends him off to uh, report on the werewolves, but you you do see Remus uh, sort of embracing uh, or harnessing his condition uh, for the greater good, and and actually he's able to produce um, valid and useful insight at, into the Dark Lord because of the result of of his illness. Yeah, that's that's interesting too because we don't and that's we didn't get this answered by Pottermore and I think everybody was hoping we would but we still don't really know how Remus used that ability to hobnob with the werewolves mm-hmm. because that brought up a lot of questions um as it at such as well Fenrir Greyback bit him and had a pretty long history with his family so wouldn't he recognize Lupin either mm-hmm. in wolf or human form are they hanging out as humans are they hanging out as wolves how is this how is that even well it's like it's like that uh that art print of the dogs playing poker (laughs) (laughs) that's definitely what they're doing well and i mean he was a child when he was bitten so unless fenrir grayback either recognizes his scent Hmm. um you know and and then there's a possibility like if if grayback was with the upper echelon of Death Eaters, it's possible that he wasn't, uh, you know, with the common werewolves who were on Voldemort's mm-hmm. side. Uh, so there's an opportunity. Maybe they didn't go to the same meetings. You know? Yeah, it's, I, it's uh, very unclear kind of what they were up to. And it's also very, 
it was always very disturbing to me in Half-Blood that Lupin kind of... Lupin, of course, is a very self-degrading character. And at one point when he's talking yeah. to Harry over Christmas, he kind of says, I am with my own kind. Um, and Harry kind of goes, and he's being so dramatic. And Harry's kind, Harry kind of rebuttals with, that's not you, that's them, you're different. And Lupin kind of shrugs that off because again, he's terribly self-depreciating and his, you're this man, you're this heart, yeah, yeah. one heart, one body, whatever BS they wrote into that. Movie. Um, the, the I hate had to get his prisoner of Azkaban jab in there. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't like it. I don't like it. No, it's a question because for Lupin too, and being a werewolf, like I mean, that's almost a different species of of human. It, it's you know we find it's a, it's a bloodborne illness. You can view it that way, but it's also you know he can transform, and when he transforms, he's a different species. It's like being an animagus. It's it's like um, it's not unlike you know it's it's unlike anything else uh, specifically. Um, so I don't know. It's kind of interesting when I was leading into it going like, oh yeah, he talks with these other werewolves. I'm also thinking like, well, that, the fact that when he gets to Hogwarts, he's able to relate to these, these fellow humans who are not werewolves speaks to their friendship. Um, but then they became animagi who can sort of interact and he makes him feel a little bit more sane. So like he has, there's, there's still like a bridge between the worlds. And and I guess it's worth noting, though, trying to get back on topic, uh, when Lupin was at Hogwarts, when Lupin was a child and could not for the longest time, according to Pottermore, uh, you know, be housed or be schooled anywhere, no one would take him because of his condition. Um, you know, the Wolfsbane potion, which later is shown to ease his symptoms, uh, was not exi- in in existence yet, mm-hmm. and this was only in the seventies, right? So, uh, the Wolfsbane potion that is later developed and Snape is able to make for him was not around yet, and that's a fair parallel to you know medicine, new new medicine that treats illnesses, um, vaccines, you know, other such uh, that simply as they're being developed, more people can benefit from them. But if you were a child before that existed. Uh, then you're you're pretty much in in Lupin's situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I I like what you put down in the doc, Eric, about Dumbledore um, being very open minded about that in this particular situation because there is no, there was no treatment at the time, um, and it's you know it's even more. Uh, it's it, the the excerpt which you should definitely read from Lupin's bio um, really speaks to kind of the the first this this it's lovely that that Rowling wrote this the 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 first step that we should all take when you know put it, putting out a helping hand to individuals with disabilities Dumbledore does it very excellently he does exactly the if she meets yes him. he does the thing you're supposed to do he treats him like an individual um just he doesn't he doesn't discuss the illness the disability at um as the first talking point he doesn't define remus by his disability um right he goes and meets him for himself well you know what i'll read that now yeah. because this is sort of a, a pretty good counterpoint to or not counterpoint, but an evolution of Albus Dumbledore's character. Mm. Um, because following Ariana's death, 
uh, you know, and, and following the defeat of Grindelwald and fi- following this big sort of character transition uh, for Dumbledore. He's later the headmaster of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry when he shows up at Lyle Lupin's house with young Remus there. Um, and here's here's the quote from, from Pottermore. Shortly before Remus's 11th birthday, no less a person than Albus Dumbledore, headmaster of Hogwarts, arrived uninvited on the Lupin's doorstep. Flustered and frightened, Lyle and Hope tried to block his entrance, but somehow, five minutes later, Dumbledore was sitting at the fireside, eating crumpets and playing gobstones with Remus. Dumbledore explained to the Lupins that he knew what had happened to their son. Greyback had boasted of what he had done, and Dumbledore had spies among dark creatures. However, Dumbledore told the Lupins that he saw no reason why Remus should not come to school, and described the arrangements that he had made to give the boy a safe and secure place for his transformations. Due to the widespread prejudice around werewolves, Dumbledore agreed that for Remus's own sake, his condition should not be broadcast. Once a month, he would leave for a secure and comfortable house in the village of Hogsmeade, guarded by many spells, and reached only by an underground passage from the Hogwarts grounds, where he could transform in peace. So it sounds like, from this reading, it sounds like Dumbledore already made all of those arrangements before showing up on their door and break, basically breaking into their living room. <laughs> It seems like he was really intent on making on writing a wrong, uh, perhaps the wrong that he had that he had caused with with Ariana. Um, but Dumbledore, as a character, and you hear in book three, uh, which you know it's longer in the book than it is in the movie, how much love Remus has for Dumbledore, mm. and how much that it was it was it changed his life. That Remus could go to school, that Remus could be with the other children his age and learn magic and do everything to lead to lead a fulfilling life. And this destiny, this path that was simply not open to him before Dumbledore made it so, uh, is huge. Absolutely huge. Um, and Dumbledore, so Dumbledore, even though in reading that part just then, it sounds like he just like he showed up uninvited (laughs) i'm just like that's sort of problematic um he really did do good for this kid i think that's interesting what you brought up eric about um how maybe his personal experience with ariana maybe inspired his um Mm -hmm. assistance to lupin because uh, i and i can't speak for um all individuals who have family members with disabilities but uh, because of the personal experience you go through you 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 tend to be very good with individuals with disabilities mm-hmm. depending on your experience level um and the funny thing is i think a lot of especially siblings are occasionally pressured by people around them to become caretakers because they're so good at it with their sibling mm-hmm. and that's but because you're good at because you're a good caretaker for your sibling does not mean you're going to be a good caretaker for other individuals. And so I think it's really great that Dumbledore knows how to, knows how to take his life experiences and extend them to others. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's important to note that I don't think Dumbledore, you know, Dumbledore's not saying he's going to completely take care of, Remus. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. And that, but that's, that's true enough, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I, 
I imagine that they didn't. I mean, it's not like Dumbledore sits with Lupin as he transforms, but I, I think the the goal was, you know, construct a, a safe space for him to transform mm-hmm. as he has to, mm-hmm. and as it's not negotiable, but allow him to complete the rest of. I mean, to complete to go to school, yeah. mm-hmm. all the same. So Dumbledore sort of put in place the mechanisms that would allow Remus to lead a fulfilling normal life. Um, despite his illness, though, and that's, that's he's allowing him to have but... all these opportunities that no one else would have had. And like you said, he's seen it on the Ariana side. He's like you said, not gonna sit with Remus, you know, the whole time. But he's gonna give him these opportunities because he's seen it in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, presumably he would have delegated somebody else would have been taking Remus, you know, the first year mm-hmm. or two when he was still like. 11 and 12 uh, to the Shrieking Shack, maybe a couple teachers would know. I mean, surely all of the teachers would know about I think Madame Pomfrey was the one who was responsible for that, yeah. I believe, in canon. It yeah, was... that's correct. You might be right. Yeah, so she, well, and that, that um, you know, that, and that perfectly lined up with information that we got about Madame Pomfrey before book three in that she's, she's very good at indiscretion and mm-hmm. um, not asking questions. Um, Mm-hmm. She's, she's not too good at spotting any manner of illnesses though that the children lie about <laughs> <laughs> well that's because she doesn't ask questions yeah. so she tends to yeah, I think yeah, it, yeah, despite yeah. her very um, very uh, kind of overbearing demeanor I think she's actually a lot more soft than she sometimes she's kind of she's very similar to McGonagall in that way um as as far as being a caretaker and that she she's strict but she really will pamper you um and take excellent care of you so which is good because <laughs> le- I, with in particular issues like this she can you know she can be very discreet which is important um in in cases like this and you know the 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 other thing that's that that the the thing that's fascinating about this piece with with Remus that you read Eric especially from the Rowling's thoughts on Pottermore is that Rowling specifically says, unlike with Ariana, Rowling specifically points to Lupin being a reference to HIV. Now, she says that it also can kind of be a catch-all for bloodborne pathogens and diseases, um, and as well as the stigma attached to those diseases. And of course, Lupin's, the, the issue with Lupin is that um, there is a way to spread his disease. It's unlikely that right. his disease would spread, but it can be spread. Um, and kind of the the issue of probability of how it would spread, because of course all of the necessary precautions have been taken. But once Lupin is outed in in book three, because of a moment of carelessness, it's kind of the be all end all for him, and he leaves. Um, and of course, the 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 backlash that he's expecting that doesn't, as far as we know, even happen, um, due to the students liking him as a teacher. Um, and you know, th- th- this question was actually, I think, and I I digged for this comment and I could not find it, so I apologize, listeners. Um, we have a lot of comments, um, which we love, but um, there was a comment brought up around the Ariana episodes that does relate to Lupin here in this parallel to HIV and the question of whether, whether we should even be using the characters in this way to be parallels for 
um, real world illnesses and disabilities. And because there, I have heard discussion about the 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 taboo perhaps of linking in uh, uh, this the the idea of HIV to a character who physically transforms into an uncontrollable monster and becomes unrecognizable yeah. and dangerous um and and whether that and and, and then to Ariana who is uh and just kind of her 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 disability is not clearly defined and uh you know her behaviors might be you know might not line up with one disability versus another and whether this is okay unwise should it be done should it not be done is there a better way to approach it um I mean, I, I think that it's important to be able to have the types of discussions that we're having about it, though, um, you know, and, and to see characters that suffer from illnesses and disabilities and have special abilities and have special needs and requirements. It's so important for inclusivity in Harry Potter that there are these characters and I disagree with one of the uh, tenets of what Ariel's uh, audio boom uh, said that I'm just now remembering too, which was that the characters exist to kind of give a leg up to the nor the normal, healthy, you know, characters who aren't suffering. I don't agree with that uh, in the scope of the Harry Potter books. I think that it's actually a case could be made for, you know, having these characters, um, it, it sort of strengthens our view of humanity and in including these characters, such as Mad-Eye Moody, such as Ramus, who are heroes uh, and who are dealing with their disabilities in such a way. Um, I, I think it's empowering. I think it's meant to be empowering. But I think as well, part of the issue, at least for me as someone who does have um, various issues, I think... Um, the main thing is, I think what Ariel was trying to get at was we want to see representation of people with, um, whether they be, you know, physical or mental or whatever form of disability, not seen as something other than normal, like seeing that as something that isn't, you know, separate from um I kind of lost my train of thought here but um so not having them as a support as much as like say having you know Newt and Fantastic Beast have some sort of you know physical impairment or something no I, I I think and correct me if I'm wrong Mary if I'm not interpreting this right but almost uh, seeing them as just players in the game rather than being highlighted for their disability um yeah. yeah, like having them having them there and not it being, oh, yeah, Moody's the one with the, um, you know, peg leg or wooden leg. Oh, now I and, see it. Because this whole is, Lupin is called one... Mad-Eye, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah, and Lupin's okay. whole story is really based around his <laughs> lack of self-esteem, which is based in his condition. And yeah, I think, so I think for me personally with that and, you know, and not having a disability myself particularly but um the 
I think what Eric said is kind of somewhat closer to how I feel, which is that uh, these things at least spark discussion. And I'm, this is always the hard part with writing with a writer's perspective is, you know, writers, this is also an issue we've gotten into with Rowling over her newer writings on Pottermore, especially her American stuff where she was writing about things that she didn't really know about. (sighs) And yeah. How and how controversial that became because she was unfortunately and likely unintentionally committing appropriation. And, you know, however innocent it may have and well intentioned it may have been. And, you know, I guess the, the issue here is that we, we expect her, uh, we've, we've laid on a lot of expectations on Rowling, especially because of her fame and the level of, you know, renown that Harry Potter has gotten. And I think it's important to remember that as much as she knows, she doesn't know everything. <laughs> and <laughs> she doesn't have a lot of personal experience that I think a lot of us could lend to making a character that way. I'm not saying she can't and that other writers can't do that. Um, or that Harry Potter didn't even have room for it. But at the same time, considering as much as she did put in, I'm rather, that's why I'm so impressed with, say, the Ariana story, because I just didn't expect that to be such a major component to the story. And when you look at the idea that Lupin's kind of, the comment, the, I think that the important thing, the, the reason why Rowling maybe doesn't have those characters as players in that respect and highlights their conditions that the way she does is because she, she is, she is looking to criticize how we as society treat those characters. Um, that's interesting. So she's her, her particular commentary is, is an attempt to criticize that. So she's not going to integrate those characters in that way because she wants to make that commentary. Um, but at the same time, as you're saying, Mary, I think there is also a um, value in and a progressive element of integrating those characters not in that way. Um, very similarly to issues we have of integrating, say, people of color into our stories and, you know, integrating them in a way that does that they're players in the story without having to acknowledge their their heritage and their background as uh, the defining trait um, that they can just be characters or gender roles same 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 issue yeah. now now yeah. I get it. now I get so it. okay but yeah i don't i i'm i'm hesitant to criticize rolling on that because she did such to me she did such a good job of even bringing these issues up in a genre where this isn't normally brought up um but at the same time, and, and I always try to remember that she did write these back in the mid nineties through the two, or the, the, well, she started writing in the mid nineties through the two thousands. Um, and yeah. we do have to give her a little bit of the benefit of the doubt on that because she, she was writing in a particular time period. And while it may not seem that long ago, um, things were very different then. Um, yeah. Especially when you get, when we roll back around to Lupin and the idea of HIV and AIDS. Um, and, you know, I, I, going back to that question of whether this was, whether it's a good idea or not to do this, I mean, Rowling's not the first one to do this. Uh, Bloodborne 
ailments have been used as kind of metaphors. There's a there's a very bizarre film out there, uh, uh, listeners, if you've never seen it, and you know, make sure you're of the proper age before you go watching this one and hunting it out. It's called The Hunger. It was a 1983 film with Catherine Deneuve, Susan Sarandon, and David Bowie. Um, so if you're a Bowie fan, check it out. Okay. It's uh, very bizarre, but it's it's a film about vampires, and it's definitely supposed to be an allegory for AIDS and kind of the effect of AIDS. So she's and the idea of transfer transfer of blood. Um, it's an and they're all monsters. Yeah. So it brings up that issue again. It's a parallel. Yeah. It's a and Rowling, I think, treats that with more uh, respect than. Yeah, well, Lupin is not a no. monster. Lupin is, I mean, he transforms. Yeah, but, like, Lupin's the best character there is. <laughs> he's perceived as a monster, but he's not. And I think that parallel of perception versus reality is what makes Lupin such a good representation for that. Um, I think the other thing we mentioned when we talked about Lupin's backstory that really um, makes this element interesting is that HIV and AIDS are are ailments that are commonly associated with the gay community, but Lupin is not gay. Um, not good. Not canonically. Not canonically. Well, and in many ways, gay. this is actually one of the reasons why some people have read Lupin as gay. And I, and as I have argued, there are, there's easily ways to read Lupin as gay. <laughs> um, but by Rowling's intention, if we're going with auteur theory, he's not. And... Right. You know, and it, it, how interesting that she chose to disassociate that, to kind of yeah, I guess that is interesting. Break that, um, break that kind of stigma that the yeah ugly causality mm-hmm. thing. So, so that's Lupin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's talk about. We have so many. There's more quite a few. Yeah, existed. of course. No, there's there, quite a few more. Characters. Yeah, there won't be as much time devoted to them. You know, there's a lot less of them than there is of Lupin or even Ariana. Mm-hmm. Um, but worth worth discussing. And we've already got uh, Mad Eye down, I think. But uh, but the next two that were on the list, Mad Eye Moody and Sylvanus Kettleburn. Um, Kettleburn, who would who retired to spend more time with quote his remaining limbs. Oh, I was just trying to remember who that was, and you saying that now I'm like, oh that's, yeah, that's <laughs> that's limbless over there. Um, you know, presumably had substitutions. So uh, that's the thing about Kettleburn, and why he's kind of put alongside Mad Eye Moody here is because mm-hmm. Kettleburn was also given wooden. Um, extremities to for for limbs and but he can never keep his because like Hagrid Kettleburn had a propensity for throwing himself into dangerous situations <laughs> and every time Dumbledore kept presenting him with uh wooden limbs and he kept getting into situations where he'd burn them off oh, so the the why I thought Kettleburn was worth bringing up is because he his story, of course, his his inclusion and his his mentions are meant to be asides and they're meant to be humorous. But the weird thing about Kettleburn is that he does con- like his, his. They keep giving him things that don't work, and mm-hmm. it's kind of like maybe let's not use wood anymore. <laughs> right for... after the first three times. <laughs> <laughs> maybe well, maybe not something so Kettle- flammable. Kettleburn. 
Yeah, Kettle Burn to me is a very obvious homage to Monty Python's Black Knight. <laughs> <laughs> like, just it's a only a scratch. Wound, you know, he this 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 uh because he loses these and he keeps going yeah. back for more. I'm reading this on the HP lexicon, but it's paraphrased from Pottermore. But it's because he loved dangerous creatures and often underestimated them <laughs> that he lost most of his limbs. And by the time he retired, he only had one arm and half a leg remaining. <laughs> now, as a retirement present, Dumbledore gave him an enchanted set of limbs. Yes, of course, they were wooden. Uh, they did often need replacing because he because Kettleburn kept going to dragon sanctuaries. <laughs> so, you know, uh, and, and he keeps flobberworms as pets. And this guy really flaunts with uh he really flirts with danger um but he's not a person who is he's not a character who's limited in any sense uh by his physical destruction he, he revisits and revisits it upon himself so often well yeah that what rolling puts at the end of the illness and disabilities piece about moody and that he is very much as she says it exactly uh, a man who is very much more than his significant disabilities, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, to clarify, I don't think that's meant to say that those of those out there who don't necessarily master their disabilities or harness them are weak, but rather to say that that's, I, I and you know, Kristen, maybe you can speak to this too, but, um, and even as well as you, Mary, but that maybe that's meant to be more, to say that that's what we we encourage all of our individuals with disabilities in our mm-hmm. lives to to um it doesn't ach- define achieve them. their goals yes mm-hmm. to to not be defined by their disability yeah and just and yeah yeah to set goals that they can achieve that mm-hmm. they can look to achieve um you know i i <laughs> being in being in librarian work i often kind of that's really changed my perspective in addition to my experiences with charlie uh think of it this way listeners that really as a librarian i i often get frequent complaints from patrons luckily not at my new job yet but i've only been there for three weeks um but uh once upon a time i would often have to deal with patrons who would come up and feel that it was perfectly reasonable to to approach me and yell at me for not solving all of their problems with the printer (laughs) Um, or to, (laughs) I had a patron once, uh, who used to go around the library and she'd just, she, she was a, she was a grumpy little lady and she would burp at people, um, just (laughs) burp. (laughs) And that was, that was okay to her. Um, she, she didn't seem to mind doing that. Um, you know, and, and that is the tip of the iceberg of, um, bizarre behaviors that I would see from people who I don't think would particularly define themselves as having a disability. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the thing that's important to remember actually is that, uh, and Kristen, I know you and I have talked about this before. Everybody has a disability. Yes, everybody's got something with them. <laughs> yeah. If you think of it that way, we all have something that makes us different. Sometimes we feel holds us back, but that we have to overcome in our daily lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, um, I, I, I've what I, I believe I have mild OCD and I know I have been diagnosed with mild anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, 
those are definitely mm-hmm. things things that affect my daily life and how I um, and things that I have to overcome um, on a daily basis. Um, we all have that stuff, mm-hmm. so yeah, uh, I think that's important to to remember when we talk about these characters and when we talk about individuals with disabilities in general. Um, it's it's not just it's it we it, it helps you realize that those particular disabilities that we highlight are not that unusual um, mm-hmm. when you look at how quote unquote average people behave on a daily basis those neurotypical people yes those that's neurotypicals we, that's, yeah that's, how you... <laughs> that's a great term i've never heard that before yeah that's what i use a lot yeah that's that would be the um mm-hmm. normal mm. yep Say, Normal, yeah, person. As I'm doing air quotes right now with my fingers. Yes, <laughs> very people. much. Yeah, same. I was, I was doing yeah. that as well. That's good to know. But yeah, you know what? Going back to Mad Eye Moody and Kettleburn, and you know, it's interesting that the it is interesting that the movie did choose to make Moody's um, his uh, prosthetic limbs metal instead of mm-hmm. wood. Because that would have obviously solved Kettleburn's problem. <laughs> um if they had just used metal, because the movie actually goes with more of a that it kind of a goes more a little, realistic. Yes, like what we would see in, like multi jointed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So and it's like an actual. Yeah. Person. Well, yeah, because it's shaped like versus... his, his it, like his foot is shaped like a like a like a booted foot in mm-hmm. the movie, but yeah, I think in the book, isn't it like a claw foot that or something like that? It's like it. Not a hundred percent. Yeah, it. it's not yeah. quite. It's not like an properly. actual foot. Yeah, it, yeah. So very different. Um, and then of course there's the magical eye, which is a whole <laughs> other. What the heck is going on? I mean, we I think we talked about that in Goblet because it's such. A, it seems like such advanced magic. Mm-hmm. It's way yeah. unique. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We've never. We don't meet anybody else in the series who has one. Um. Except Umbridge. Ooh. 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 <laughs> Always too soon. I know. It's I like, think, that's see, immediately uh, what popped up in my head as well, but I was like, I'm not going to say it. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, that's just what adds to Umbridge being such a horrible individual yep. is that she actually takes, she uses someone's disability mm. as a tool, which mm, is mm, mm. yet another reason she is one of the most disgusting individuals on the planet. I am so glad we're not talking about her at length. No. In this <laughs> well, you know, okay, so that does stretch into something that might be uh, worth talking about. Um, not really. I don't. I don't really know how we address this one. Might be a larger topic to even carry on past this episode. But um, a lot of almost all of our characters are that we have here to talk about are from the light side the good side the mm-hmm. hairy side can we think of individuals with disabilities in the in in the voldemort side uh, that Bellatrix is psychotic peter pettigrew has um like the silver and he has yeah that's missing... true he has a pres- he has a magical prosthetic um he was missing a finger too yeah bellatrix yeah. is and... a sociopath yes I think Bellatrix <laughs> definitely has, uh, you know, that's interesting because we have Sirius here on the list, and mm-hmm. um, Bellatrix is kind of Why don't I, the flip side because they both spend an extended amount of time in Azkaban. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really think Sirius should be on this list necessarily uh, under depression insofar as, you know, that is a side effect of presence with the Dementors. But but that's, um, a, that's which... important because Rowling did specifically create the Dementors to be that. Mm-hmm. So, because yes and no, I I do, I don't agree that Sirius suffers from depression once he leaves. Uh, I tr- oh. highly disagree <laughs> I on that. Yeah, I disagree <laughs> with that. Not not I I think he has reasons to be depressed. Everybody is in his uh, house like during Christmas time, yet he's still locked away and hidden in a room by himself. Yes, wh- but that's not atypical. That's not. You can, it, you you can be depressed without suffering from depression, right? Mm, I actually not. I think that's one of the issues of how we view depression as a society. Yeah. Because he, he definitely well, I mean, suffers. I don't I don't want to commit I don't want to commit any grand errors here. Well, no, no, no. I think that's but... what we're. I think that's a good thing to bring up. Mm-hmm. Is that depression is a condition that we we as a society are still struggling to acknowledge as a medical condition and not mm-hmm. something as a kind of just, well, buck up and get over it kind of a thing. And there's we- all different kinds because you can yes. also have depression, but you can have that manic side of that depression as well. It's that you're not bipolar, but you still have that high low of, but it's still considered under that category of depression. And I, I think he has it even after leaving yeah, and dep- depression can be long term or it can be mm-hmm. temporary. Mm-hmm. I've suffered from depression. I know mm-hmm. I had. Anybody who was in my family situation during the worst parts of that would definitely suffer depression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's inevitable, and I do think I think that Sirius is a actually pretty good example of an individual with depression in book mm-hmm. five. Yes, um, that, that's exactly what I thought. That book yeah. specifically really kind of shows it. And what makes it kind of, you know, we, I think really in a way we can maybe look back and wonder if maybe we weren't too hard on Sirius in our examination of him in Order of the Phoenix because we were examining him as a potential father figure for Harry. Mm-hmm. But I think we pointed out that he was not a fit father figure for Harry. Um, and we were right. pointing more to a stunted growth. Which is an issue because he was imprisoned at like twenty one, mm-hmm. <laughs> which yes. is absurd. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think yeah, there is an added element of the depression issue because while Sirius was, you know, very, it's very admirable that he managed to not succumb completely to the Dementors during his time in Azkaban. They did leave him with major PTSD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And yeah. I feel like they capture it in the movies, too. Those scenes, like, you just see him. He will be kind of staring off, but then, you know, he sees Harry's looking at him, and he puts on that smile. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, oh, I'm going to okay. be around you. I will try to be happy, but really underneath, I'm not. Yeah, the movies took, yeah, especially movie five, took a very different mm-hmm. approach to addressing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, the way you're kind of summarizing, Kristen, I think it was... Probably a more subtle acting choice on Gary Oldman's part. Mm-hmm. Um, He's so much more lively and fiery in the books, shouting at Molly and, you know, kind of trying to play a more active role. And actually, he's he's quite restless in, in book five, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. Which adds... You know, always trying to 
to go out and always trying to protect Harry and always trying to to do these things. Very, but then not being able know. to do those, he sinks back into it and being away and stuff like that. Well, yeah, that like, being, and being you can house, still want to like fight for this boy and try and help him out. Doesn't mean you're still not depressed. Mm-hmm. Well, Dumbledore uh, definitely failed uh, any anything he did for Lupin in Lupin's life. He definitely didn't do for Sirius. Uh, mm-hmm. Come come book five time. Oh yeah, and I think Harry totally excellently agree. addresses that in his mm-hmm. in his final rant to Dumbledore in order when he yells at him, and that's yeah. and then Dumbledore actually kind of puts his hands up and goes. Yep, you're yep, right. right. I really mm-hmm. screwed that up. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a good thing that Dumbledore acknowledges that. Um, you know, of course, Dumbledore has to go back to his greater good issue. And unfortunately, Sirius is kind of collateral damage from all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But which, you know, it's that's not okay. Um, and it's interesting, Kristen, that you brought up Bellatrix as kind of the flip side because she is mm-hmm. i think the more extreme version of what happens when you when when you're left perhaps without like bellatrix is never given proper care or treatment um mm-hmm. she is kind of just left to and she's also surrounded by n- bad people oh yeah um and and what the 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 part that makes her kind of beautifully tragic is that voldemort completely takes advantage of it Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And it's that that that's interesting in how it ties back to Voldemort as being a parallel for Hitler because of course Hitler attempted to wipe out all individuals with disabilities. Many people forget that he Hitler was not just killing Jews, which mm-hmm. already makes him a horrible individual, but in addition to that, he was pretty much killing anybody that he didn't like. Mm-hmm. Um and uh individuals with disabilities fell under that as well as gays. And people basically who weren't white, blonde, and blue-eyed. Yep. <laughs> um, he did a lot worse yeah. than uh, he did a lot worse than kill them too. Oh yes, mm-hmm. yes, absolutely. And uh, so you know, with I, I can't imagine Voldemort being any Voldemort's views on like lesser beings ends up being more of a parallel in that he views individuals who are not of a certain heritage to be worthy of his attention but i imagine he wouldn't be much more in favor of it i mean that kind of comes up with lupin right um the the discussion they have at the malfoy manor and deathly hallows at the beginning lupin kind of takes kind of encourages bellatrix and takes great pride in the idea that lupin will be eradicated and that tonks will be eradicated by proxy for associating with him Ugh. um yeah. So that doesn't bode well for, and then of course, then again, another parallel with Hitler and World War II, Grindelwald. Grindelwald suggests to Dumbledore that, well, Dumbledore is actually, the reason Dumbledore is actually pursuing Grindelwald's ideals is not only because of where he sees things lining up with Grindelwald, but he does also suggest that things might be better for Ariana um, and that the world might be better for her. But as he finds out, and I think why Dumbledore is so hurt by what Grindelwald does is that that's not what Grindelwald's real intention is. Um, Right. He doesn't really care about Ariana as evidenced by the fact that he probably killed her. Um, 
Yeah, no big deal there. Just... <laughs> For more information on that, see the Fantastic Beasts. <laughs> Possibly, maybe Johnny Depp might be involved. Uh, yes, it is. Cat just posted in the ridiculously fun oh, chat God. as a side note. There it is. Well, yeah. That's a whole other thing. Go ahead to speak beastie for that. But, um, yeah, I, I think that kind of maybe answers the question of how Voldemort and even Grindelwald's regime might have dealt with that if we're looking at it as a Hitler parallel, which I believe it's meant to be looked at as. Um, it doesn't come up too much, but I think the evidence that we have kind of points to that. Um, they'd either be taken advantage of or disposed of. Um, so that, that's the dark characters. Uh, and, and in fact, actually that kind of bleeds into the, the next point, which covers three characters. Um, mm -hmm. but that, that point is actually a more larger, broad idea of memory loss and memory damage. Um, and we have three prominent characters who suffer that, uh, Bethilda Bagshot, Bertha Jorkins, and Gilderoy Lockhart. <laughs> um, to remind me, mm -hmm. remind me of uh, Bethilda. If her memory loss is attributed to anything other than her excessively old, so age. that's the fascinating thing about Bethilda is her condition is actually not so different from Alzheimer's. Yeah, okay, um, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, she's she's summarized as just having degenerative memory loss due to age, but. The magical element is that Rita toys with her memory to get stuff out of her. Um, yeah. to a less, to a much more severe extent, Voldemort does the same thing to Bertha Jorkins, and both characters seem to leave those, uh, seem to be left from those experiences worse for wear. Um, yeah. Bertha in particular. Um, it's interesting because we have two characters here who are not used in that way, in a humorous way. Lockhart, on the other hand, is um, more of a humorous depiction of memory loss, if we could consider it that. Um, and I was, I, I was actually wondering why, you know, we have, we actually have a device that can store memories. So why is this a problem if we have things like pensieves? Does everybody uh. have those? No, that's a good point. I mean, my understanding is that they're probably pretty rare. Mm. I just felt like if pen, if like, how does Saint Mungo's not have a pensive though? Like, yeah, that's fair. Also, if you can just, I mean, I know it's oversimplified in the film, mm -hmm. but you can presumably encapsulate memories, individual memories, into whatever vial or tube you happen to have on your hand, like just like that. I mean, even if there's an incantation for it. You can physically remove a memory that there's some sort of substance that goes somewhere. So with the with all these memory charms and the wizard's wiping of muggles' memories, um, you know, where do those memories go then? Are they just somehow absorbed, dissolved, <laughs> versus being stored somewhere? Um, sort of interests me. So when you're talking about wizards who've suffered, you know, great memory losses, and and also kind of tying in as well what Slughorn does to bastardize his his memory uh and recollection and kind of how that all works it's interesting to think of it all as being like tied into the same thing i wouldn't have connected pensieves with kilderoy in the in the saint mungo's at all uh so that was pretty cool 
Yeah, of course, there's an element here that wizards aren't storing their memory. The the All of these individuals didn't store their memories before their brains were messed really with. Yeah, so the other um, thing I thought was interesting to consider in tandem with this is that we get a depiction in Order of the Phoenix of a section of the ministry where they preserve brains and seem mm-hmm. to be studying them as well as the memories that are within them. Because, of course, when Ron touches one of the brains... It comes out and coils around him, and actually there's... I believe the writing kind of says something about a stream of kind of imagery that's tied that's to these brains. Mary Grand Prix depicts it by actually, in the, in her illustration in the American edition, with pictures coming out of the brain. And as Madame Pomfrey says, uh, there's... Memories can leave scars. Um... So there's so there seems to be an active attempt by the ministry to study something about this. Um, I've never really been sure even if the, what the ministry is studying is actually for the purposes of medical research. I would assume that was something that would be conducted at St. Mungo's. Yeah. Um, but maybe it's too high end. Mm. Maybe it's too experimental, right? Like love itself yeah uh like the top it's it's sort of like the top secret facility Mm -hmm. right so you have labs you have labs that are you know just around uh storing uh say your local cdc and stuff but then you have like the the high government pentagon uh labs which are just you know that's true i should i shouldn't be Mm -hmm. blowing that off so easily i live i come from new mexico we have a gazillion of those (laughs) all all over the place area 51 yeah, well, we have Cindy Labs. We have a, yeah, we have all kinds of labs that they're doing kind of high end government work. That's true. I uh, and you know, of course, I think Gilderoy is used as a more humorous aspect because and Rowling, I think, was asked actually at at the uh, the kind of near the end of Hallows during the the either the live chat or during during her uh, appearance. Um, for Hallows, I think she was asked if Lockhart ever recovered his memories, and she said, "No, he's got permanent memory loss, and he's quite happy where he is, and I'm really happy to keep him there because that's what he got what he deserved." And mm-hmm. I think that's the important thing to remember about Lockhart is that he's a victim of what is called poetic justice, <laughs> <laughs> in that he was doing this to others, and so it shall be done unto him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Versus poor Bertha and Bethilda. Um, the interesting thing, too, about Bertha, that's never explicitly stated, but constantly hinted by characters, is that she was kind of slow. And, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I for, I for, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, Barty. Is it Barty? It's everybody uh, who talks yeah. about her. And, okay, <laughs> Ludo Bagman. There's a line, mm-hmm. though. Yeah. Yeah, I think even serious it, mentions it. It might have been Ludo. It's just like she was kind of slow yeah. anyway. She'd right? go yeah. missing for like days and she'd be fine. Yeah, that. <laughs> 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 so it's yeah. kind of suggested. Now the thing that okay, so this, this this so that's kind of equatable to suggesting that Bertha actually already had some form of what I guess we would equate to brain damage. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. whether that was brought on by something or whether she was simply born with that mm-hmm. um it's kind of suggested that that's part of her personality and that's how she just always was mm-hmm. and it's it's also i think meant to contribute to the 
kind of grotesqueness of what Voldemort does to her. Mm-hmm. It gets much worse if you like begin to like theorize too um, with Bertha. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I even think about bringing this up is because we were on a thread earlier of um, the people with disabilities being abused uh, by those around them mm-hmm. um, and the propensity for it to happen and in secrecy and mm-hmm. stuff. But Bertha Jorkins, I uh, was talking about her at Leviosa mm. uh, in in July, I think it was, and somebody brought this up, and I never thought of this or heard, heard of this theory before, but Voldemort appears at the beginning of Goblet of Fire in sort of a fetal form. Um, he's sort of like a young baby and the theory, I guess, is that he would have somehow possessed and assaulted Bertha and that she would have actually birthed his form. Um, while they were, while Wormtail found her and while whatever evil, you know, torture and extraction and things that he was doing with her that that was actually how Voldemort acquired his form would have been way too intense to show in the book, which is why it's not in the book. And the book opens with them talking about having met Bertha and how it was the key to everything. But, you know, they could have used her for, for far worse uh, purposes than the books even hint at, Um, which again, just something I heard, but I thought it would be possible and terrifying. Well, yeah, Yeah, it's disturbing. (laughs) Wormtail like coerces her at like a bar or something like that. He just encounters her just around, and that's well. She encounters him, I think. Is how oh, she went, goes right? snooping. And she's like, oh, but I re- yeah. but I recognize yeah. you, and he's like, oh snap. Yep, I can use you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. That's pretty messed up. I've never heard that theory, but that's a fascinating and completely disturbing theory. Yeah. Yeah. No, I and but I mean, I think that there. You know, there's room for that interpretation because, like I said, the fact that she's constantly pointed out by the other characters to have been slow, as they put it, mm-hmm. it, it is meant to uh, amplify the the tragedy of her being taken advantage of and being used the way she was by Voldemort. Um, and I think it's basically said, right, like she was no good to us after what we did to her and we had to kill her because there was no way she would have, you know, just ever. Well, yeah, the, the way they suggested is that they basically turned her into a vegetable because mm-hmm. they damaged her, her head so much that she wasn't functional anymore. Um, not yeah. too dissimilar to what a Dementor would do to an individual um, from the sound of it. Yeah. And then, of course, Bethilda Bagshot. Um, yet again, kind of highlighting our horrible characters, Miss Rita Skeeter completely taking advantage of Bethilda's... Of Bethilda, yeah. I mean, that's honestly all over the books then, now that that we're talking Mm -hmm. about it, like people taking advantage of these disadvantaged characters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, Bethilda, unfortunately, with her defenses further lowered, meets a sticky end, and you... One might even be able to suggest that that is in part Rita's fault um, for kind of leaving her in that state. Um, Because even Rita, Rita knows what she did because when she she leaves her that note when she sends her the book that says, what does she say? Like, um, I'll remember it even if you don't or something like that. (laughs) That's just, what the heck? (laughs) Um... 
And the, the, the ideas of memory loss and damage, I think, extends perfectly into our last set of characters that we have here. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Longbottom. Mm-hmm. Oh, Frank and Alice. Yes, they, they are probably one of the most affecting characters who are, uh, who make such a short appearance, but they have such a long lasting, um, effect on readers. Mm-hmm. Uh, in their short appearance, the interesting thing about the Longbottoms is again they are they are a victim of magical um, torture, but and their 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 condition is not clearly defined and never openly mm-hmm. stated. But it's and it's another one that can kind of be a catch-all for a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, all that we mentioned uh, briefly with Bethilda Bagshot, Alzheimer's, um, mm-hmm. it's a, a brain, definitely brain damage. Yeah. Um, those TBIs, all those mm-hmm. traumatic brain injuries. <laughs> hmm Yeah. Uh, almost complete incapacitation yeah. of... Mm. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. have these, these great uh, horrors, I was going to say Dark Wizard Fighter. I mean, they're, they're the equivalent, they're analogous to the Potters. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as their successes, they had thrice defied Voldemort. Mm-hmm. They're Neville's parents. Um, you know, when you meet them in St. Mungo's, I think it's Alice is writing notes uh, on paper, folding them up and handing them to Neville. And, you know, you get the sense that they're nonsensical, that, you know, there's a disconnect, that if even if they do say something he's not able to ever really find out what it is so yeah that was Um, the that and that's an that's a good point to bring up because there was a theory floating around the fandom for a while that the longbottoms were actually trying to communicate to neville something important through the gum wrappers um i'm kind of glad that that wasn't the case yeah oh yes yeah i I would have to say the same just and i'll let go ahead ahead, his thought and see if Okay, so um, I think with the whole, you know, communicating with the gum wrappers, I mean, we know for a fact that there were a lot of things Joe was going to put in the plot if she had had the space and time. Yeah. At one point, Florian Fortescue was supposed to be um, telling Harry about, um, I think it was the Deathly Hollows, yeah, and then it ended right, up being right. Cedophilius Lovegood. And, yeah, he was going to be a replacement um, so, for Helena Ravenclaw. Um, so, um, from that standpoint, I mean, I think having brought, um, the long bottoms into that, I think that would have complicated things too much. And I think it kind of would have done them a disservice almost to have them, you know, incapacitated by the Cruciatus curse and, you know, basically, um incapable of functioning on their own and you know essentially at a you know very childlike level like if you look at um augusta longbottom and you know speaking um to frank and alice like you know it's it's obvious that their understanding is only like that of a small child so you know to suddenly have them be like oh no we're actually communicating through what means we can you know i think that the the version of the theory that i remember and uh this is i i actually 
Really loved it. Uh, it was it was from um, Galadriel Waters and Astrid Mithrander, Wizarding World Press, uh, one of their books. Uh, it, it came with the caveat that St. Mungo's was dirty and corrupt. And, you know, the evidence for it in the text is characters like Lucius Malfoy are said to be heavy donors to St. Mungo's. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was that these enemies of the Death Eaters are basically funding dirty mungos to to keep Frank and Alice down essentially that if if Alice Longbottom is being forcibly uh you know put in that state and kept in that state that the gum wrappers are then her escape are her way of breaking out of her way to communicate to her son that something is going wrong so there's actually sort of malpractice uh, and and Alice, in that theory, is 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 a hero, is is a survivor who is escaping uh, that, and it would eventually have been revealed that Mungo's is dirty, um, and that you know the the Voldemort dark forces whatever are controlling it. That would I I thought have been an interesting twist to the state of magical uh, welfare in the Wizarding World. Uh, I definitely agree it would have made the story too complicated or That's, significantly yeah, more complicated. Crazy. Yeah, see, um, uh, to build on Mary's point, I think that the devaluing of the Longbottoms, if that were the case, would be that the their, their parallel in the real world is that there are disabilities and illnesses that are incurable. And yeah. that giving them that putting putting that story idea on them um places an unrealistic expectation or a, almost a wish fulfillment kind of idea on them yeah that yeah. i but again this was this was never actually oh, yeah. alleged it was no, just a theory but and it was but it, like wouldn't it be it was a th- cool and escapism that was a like theory that. with legs that like a lot of people i think that was a pretty popular one for a while um, and understandably so, because Rowling, you know, again, never does anything without purpose. But I think, you know, sometimes we forget that there's already plenty of purpose in some of the things she's done that we're, we're reading into. Yes, that's fair. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the purpose there is to say, of course, the emotional impact is that Neville's parents communicate through the only means they can Mm -hmm. um, to show affection to their son and Neville reciprocates that Um, whether or not people think that that's a valuable form of communication is irrelevant to Neville Um, Mm -hmm. yeah and that's yeah yeah, and that's what's important I mean I experienced that with Charlie because I communicate with Charlie and I discovered this over a period of many years I communicate with Charlie in a very physical way we hug we kind of we we hold hands we you know we 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 have we have games that we play with our hands um that communicate to each other um he speaks and he can he can, he un- i know he understands everything i say even when he's pretending not to cuz he's little butt sometimes but um but yeah no we have other forms of communication that other people cannot understand um, if you if somebody else tried to communicate with Charlie the same way I did, it would take a while to build that communication with him, and your form of communication with him would be different than mine. My parents communicate different with Charlie than I do, um, and so, and and other people who have met Charlie communicate with him in different ways um, because he develops 
connections with people on a very individual basis. Um, so I, I think that's the value of Neville's parents um, is the, is that communication aspect that just that little reminder that yeah they're as 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 disabled as they, they have become they're they are still in there enough to you know mm-hmm. know that Neville is important to them. They don't exactly. know maybe why, but they know he's important. Um, and that's what's so integral about their role. And, of course, you know, the, uh, adding to Harry's experience, if we tie it all back to Harry, that, you know, Neville... Harry is so embittered by the fact that his parents are dead, but, of course, then he realizes that there... Are, this is part of his journey of realizing what Dumbledore says, that there are worse things than death. Um Mm-hmm. And the long bottoms, unfortunately, are an example of that for Harry. So, one more point to move on to. Well, and Chris, Kristen, you you brought this one up in our planning discussions. Um, yes. Yeah. It's yours. And I, I think know, it's, it's super just, interesting. Yeah, it always kind of like popped out for me, though, about mm-hmm. uh, just so nocturnally in especially the that movie scene where the guy is just like talking to the wall yep. um, is just like more of these muggle mental illnesses that these wizards may have. So I'm thinking more of, especially the guy talking to the wall, you know, to me that seems like an obvious sign of schizophrenia. Um, and just was the wall talking. No. Back? So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the wizarding world, that is a possibility, but to, no, it to does... him maybe, <laughs> but to everybody else, no, <laughs> the wall yeah. was saying all sorts of stuff, yeah. but just, uh, I didn't know if like nocturnality was something where they've kind of cast aside these wizards or witches who they have no idea what to do with them. Cause it's not more so the stuff you'd see in St. Mungo's cause it's not magical, effects from them but it's something you know like something that we would see like have they just sent them to nocturnality to kind of be i don't know just seem like that grimy place where they're just like nobody cares about anybody and all the people just seem to be you know quote unquote weird and different i don't know well yeah not even diagonally by books six and seven becomes a place where the impoverished go and mm-hmm. um it it yeah. becomes kind of like a, a last ditch effort for people who are escaping Voldemort's regime. Yeah, and Harry definitely encounters more oddballs in Nocturne Alley, kind of people mm-hmm. who are outside the realm of his usual interactions, um, like that that witch who's carrying a tray the of fingernails. Human <laughs> fingers, yeah, Ugh. yeah, and. I think, yeah, the movie does definitely, I think, more portrays this idea that you're kind of getting at, Kristen, with mm-hmm. individuals who, like, kind of cast off mental illnesses and uh, mental illnesses that are often disasso- are often associated with the homeless and transient population. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting that Half-Blood is the point where they decided to do that visually. Yeah. Um because it's it's kind of in chamber of secrets well because you can't have you can't have these 
bums scaring Harry and making it a not so wondrous world, mm. right? In the colorful, in the most, most colorful, vibrant version, perfect version of the ideal Diagon Alley approach shot in mm-hmm. book one, right? Yeah. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's remarkable that they do seem to show. And it, well, in Nocturne Alley, just, I love the implication that these people who are down here aren't necessarily, they're not dark wizards practicing dark you know things yeah. it's just nocturnally is is the place that they have been relegated to essentially because there's there's less you know strict policing i you know you never really see a cop in Diagon Alley <laughs> going oh you know you there you're loitering <laughs> shoe but you can imagine that one exists and you can imagine that if it did exist they'd be pushed to nocturnally mm-hmm. and that nocturnally's set of guidelines would be less stringent because down there it's a natural fit to be left alone where people leave each other alone because everybody's up to something but you know in in that essence um you know and thinking about how much uh, of a proportion of the uh homeless are mentally mm-hmm. ill i uh, you know you can just see how the real world implications uh would would take root mm-hmm. and i mean i think what you mentioned about like when you were going off of, oh, you know, there's not a cop there because everyone's kind of up to something. I think that could also be said, too, of the hog's head um, before, you know, the whole thing with it being used kind of um, as a go-between for the um, order and DA. Um, but in terms of, like, you know, you go into the hog's head and you don't really know who's going to be there. And, you know, everyone's kind of, like doing some shifty stuff well and wouldn't um, isn't that interesting because of course the hogshead is run by aberforth and not only is of course aberforth obviously sympathetic to individuals who are kind of outside of the social norms thanks to his kind of care of ariana but mm-hmm. it's also implied that Aberforth himself is a bit like Bertha Jorkins. Aberforth is never clearly defined in that way, but he is also often referred to as slow and odd. Um, Dumbledore seems to take great glee, actually, in talking about how his brother is kind of simple. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. He, he often... <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is, it is. It, and I mean, I think in because Dumbledore is is the brother, he feels that he has the right to do that. Kind of like when I say that Charlie's a butt when he is. Um, it's kind of a... It's a similar bizarrely affectionate thing that Dumbledore does. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's you know, it's damaging because D- Aberforth's public persona is not very good. Um, obviously, he's... He's uh, he, pretty much all he's in the news for is being Dumbledore's naughty brother who does weird things with goats. Um, and <laughs> yeah, but weird fetishes too, like weird, uh, you know, like any, anything out, out of, of the, the norm. Realm of what is, was it? Ne- neurotypical, mm-hmm. um, you know, is all relegated to this sort of category. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And I think, and what, though, wouldn't it make sense though with what you're saying, Mary, that the Hogshead would be a place like that? Um, because maybe Aberforth made it a place like that intentionally, hmm. um, based on his worldview. Yeah. Because people like him aren't really like I don't think Aberforth strikes me as not feeling really welcome at Hogwarts, especially when it comes to going. Like he doesn't make a Dumbledore goes to visit him. He doesn't go to yeah. visit Dumbledore. Um, that's made pretty clear 
in the dialogue. Um, so I think Aberforth probably would set up the, I could see him setting up the hogshead as a, as a place for that, um, for people as he would view like him who are on the outskirts of society. It's not necessarily a bad place. It just seems like that kind of like what we were talking about with Nocturne Alley. It's the, I, I, the wizarding world, very much like the, the real muggle world, also has a penchant for pushing things that aren't as pretty to the sidelines. Um, yeah. Pushing things out of the spotlight that they don't want to deal with or that don't conform to their pretty world that they've built up. I think that's kind of the another one of the core pieces of Harry Potter is that we have a we as humans have tend to have a a nasty penchant for putting things out of sight and out of mind that we really shouldn't. Yeah. Um but I mean if we at the end of our discussion here maybe going back around to Ariel's question that she left us with her audio boom do we think that Rowling how do we how do we think she did with her approach to to illness and disability and special needs within the wizarding world how do how do we each feel overall after having maybe further examined each of these characters and situations um for I mean, oh. I think oh, go ahead. Yeah, where did Everybody had their idea right at the same time. Yeah. Mary, you're the yeah, guest. Yeah, you go first. You lead. All right. So um, I think from the standpoint of, and you can look at this too from what Joe is doing now in the real world with Lumos and that kind of thing. But I think one of the things that she did really, really well with the series was maybe bringing up the more... Um, kind of underlying issues in relation to, you know, illness and disability. Like, you know, we have um, St. Mungo's and, you know, the long bottoms having to be, um, you know, institutionalized because they can't um, function. Um, we have um, Ariana Dumbledore who, you know, that that was one of the concerns was that she would be put in St. Mungo's. Um, we have, you know, kind of this whole, um, implication that some of these characters might be a bit slow, that maybe they have, um, you know, something wrong with them, but everyone's just kind of like, oh, you know, more gossipy about it. Um, whereas we don't have as much in the way of concrete representation of characters as much as it is the kind of themes beyond that yeah if that yeah you sense. we have characters who a lot of these characters are background um or they are or they are what ariel suggested meant to boost up the 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 story of the main character and i think that's an important thing to also discuss here too as we wrap up is how this all ties back to harry our lead um and even maybe wondering if there aren't disabilities within the trio um, within Harry, um, I mean, we talked about different degrees of depression. I would say Harry definitely suffers depression in book five. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I think maybe we can, that that would be possibly for a future topic, but 
I think you could even examine this in the characters who are what do we call what what's the term neuro neurotypical neuro, neurotypical <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. uh maybe again like breaking down there because I think we've even seen that to some degree with some of our discussion I think uh Hermione's been a big discussion about that and her kind of inability to properly socialize with others mm-hmm. um she's very smart but she's not very savvy with um human interaction um something that she learns over the course of the seven books um ron has a very severe lack of empathy <laughs> in mm-hmm. many cases and uh he's a blunt, yes. blunt person <laughs> emotional range of yes. spoon. Yeah, we have yeah. a lot of characters in in the neurotypical group that are very that have varying degrees of social anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, Luna Lovegood would be an excellent example of that, where she is oh, yeah. socially atypical, mm-hmm. um, and it's as like well as everybody's got a little bit of something. Yes, yes. Even these quote unquote neurotypical people, nobody's neurotypical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I think that's an important thing to to take away from the discussion too is that uh it, while we cherry picked these characters who are highlighted for their um special needs that doesn't mean that the as we termed it neurotypical characters within the series aren't mm-hmm. don't have these disabilities these needs mm-hmm. um we can ex- they they can be examined just as much too and of course we invite you the listeners to to examine that in the comments this week as you uh, the comments that you leave for us um but also um Kristen Eric yes. your final wrap up thoughts um so mine was just you know going back to Ariel's you know question that she asked i thought like the book definitely highlighted more highlighted more of those mental illnesses and, and the physical limitations and physical disabilities but i can see where Ariel's side is coming from of those chronic illnesses Um, like, and what we were talking about earlier too, like the cancer and everything like that, we don't see that side. I mean, there's so many other illnesses of your body, like those, all those, you know, autoimmune diseases and everything like that, that this kind of doesn't go into at all. Um, Mm -hmm. so I see how she can kind of see that side of illnesses that aren't really covered at all in the books. Um, but I think, I don't know. I think she did a good depiction of of a lot of these things that we see in society now that um even though she wrote these you know quite a few years ago it's unfortunate that people are just now are kind of accepting of them but even today they're not but she's still trying to educate everybody even though these books were written quite a few years ago i don't know (laughs) yeah that's that's great Absolutely. Uh, my final thoughts are just how fortunate I feel to have discussed this with people who know what they're talking about um, <laughs> and who've experienced it close hand. Uh, because I actually didn't, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know what to expect going into this discussion, other than what he would fleshed out in the doc. But I feel like uh, I feel like it was really insightful, really informative, and I just love that we can take something that we all love, Harry Potter, look at it in mm-hmm. a new light shine a new fresh spotlight on it and and come out with such a richness um you know having been discussed so i'm just grateful to you guys uh and if i said anything (laughs) 
which was offensive or uh, ignorant, please forgive me. It was not intended to be that way. Um, and, you know, I just, I feel like I've begun to learn and think uh, critically in a new way. No, I think, Eric, that's great because, you know, one, I think it's uh, always worth saying that um, individuals uh, out there who might be listening who may not think that you have uh, been impacted by illness or disability within your life, think about it and examine it and think about the people you know in your life and the experiences you've had because you have been affected by that in some way. Mm -hmm. Everyone has. Um, that's it's inevitable and if you haven't you will be and i don't mean mm -hmm. that as a threat i mean that as a you, you will be yeah. i mean that as a <laughs> be aware of that because that is an experience that you know you uh, by listening to discussions like these and by examining mm -hmm. texts like harry potter in this way you can be better prepared for that yes um, don't be judgmental try yes, not to be yes <laughs> yes be 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 open minded and be mm -hmm. and approach it with um with an open world view and um, mm -hmm. you'll don't be, you know, the other thing too is uh, to share a final personal experience. Often when we took Charlie out, uh, Charlie would throw tantrums and all people would do is stare. And if they really went the extra mile, oh. they'd comment, make horrible, nasty comments about Charlie's behavior. And the one thing that people rarely, so rarely ever did was offer to help words of condolence or help. Yes. <laughs> And that is all you need to do. Is I've perfected offer... my stare back at those people. <laughs> good, good, because they need a stare back as a talking. Yeah. What? Oh yeah, yeah, I remember my dad used to, and I get so embarrassed, but I'm so proud of my dad for doing that. And now he used to snap at people. He he used to he would snap them and basically give a short summary of our life story. Which yeah. now that I think about it, what an amazing thing to do. And I still mm -hmm. remember one time Charlie was. You know how they have those ridiculous playland play places in McDonald's and Burger King and mm -hmm. stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Charlie gosh. was stuck up at the top of one of those one time, and my mother sent me up to get him. And I was so nervous to go get him. But I went up there, and, and the, the, he was stuck up there because there were children up there, and they were teasing him. Oh. And, of course, Charlie had no idea what they were uh -huh. doing or saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I did, and I, and that's one of the few times where I verbally defended Charlie in my youth, and I was so angry at those children, and so appalled that children their age would be already so judgmental, mm -hmm. um, because that's not something you know. How much, however much people may argue that that is not something children are born with. Um, you are you are not born judgmental. You are taught it, and. That always comes from somewhere. So if you if we, if we continue to go forward with discussions like these, and be open to listening to these aspects and uh, worldviews, I think the world will be a better place for it. And I, for one, applaud Rowling for introducing and opening these discussions in a genre where this really does not happen. Um, you don't see a lot of disability even being incorporated into the fantasy genre. That's not common. Um, and I think it's become more common because she's, she made it interesting. She made these characters fully fleshed out, part of the world, an integral part of the world. Um, and uh, I'm, for one, very excited to see where she goes next with that. I'd love to think that there's, you know, I think it's good that we continue to 
demand more of Rowling because we know she's coming out with more material. Mm-hmm. We already kind of know that Newt um, is uh, another mm. example of a socially awkward individual who does not relate to people very well. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out um, and if that will really be a major plot point or not. But um, I think that'll, I, I think there, I think I'm, I'm sure because, again, going back to the beginning, that Rowling has so much rich personal experience with this. I don't think this is ever a theme that she would ever completely abandon in her work. Um, I think we can expect more of of this from her in future as we go through, what, five movies now well, of Fantastic Beasts? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, five movies. Can you think of examples real quickly having read uh, the Corman Strike series? Have, can you think of any? I mean, besides Strike. In a hero with, uh, I think he's got a prosthetic leg, right? I am so embarrassed to admit I haven't finished it. Jeez. Uh, um, but I finished, hey, I finished Casual Vacancy, which not many people can claim. Yeah, well, and actually, ca- can't can't claim that. Ca- casual yeah. Vacancy actually includes a lot of that. Um, there are not only individuals with uh, disabilities, but uh, Casual Vacancy also includes individuals who are impoverished or in various degrees of... Um, on the wealth on the wealth scale um socioeconomic yes, thank levels you. that's the much better word for that that is the actual <laughs> term for that um that's a, that's that's words um but yes no that there, there are individuals with um varying degrees of disabilities in 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 casual vacancy that have definitely affect how they um play in the story the casual vacancy is a very carefully mapped out puzzle um, of how these characters cross paths and interact with each other. Um, so I definitely saw it in that. I haven't got, I've, I've started reading Cuckoo's Calling and I never got the chance to finish it is all it is, but I, I felt like there were things of, there were themes of illness and disability that were inevitably going to come up. Um, and what she said that Corman Strike is going to go on for much longer than Harry Potter. So there's going to be plenty more opportunity for that. When did she say that? Uh, she's somebody asked her, I think, on Twitter, if it was going to be seven again, or if there was like a set number, and she was like, "Nope, I'm going to do whatever I want." <laughs> <laughs> nope, my. <God. laughs> so we got to end. Yeah. This. So I think the the ending there is that we can easily expect more from rolling on this theme. And we invite you again and remind you the listeners in the comments, I'm sure as you've listened to this episode that you're panicking because we have forgotten something because there were seven books and so much to talk about. That's why we do Alohomora the way we do it. We want you to contribute to that by going to alohomora.mugglenet.com and leaving your comments and thoughts about this episode. And if we missed anything, please start up a discussion about it because we want to see your thoughts on this topic and this is the point of the show where we thank our guest our lovely wonderful guest mary thank you for coming on and speaking to us you're welcome it was fun yes thank you so much mary we really appreciate you stepping in and doing this and having uh the willingness to share your personal experience on the show we really appreciate that Mm -hmm. our next topic will be on Albus Dumbledore. So be prepared to listen to that great one. Now, and as a, as a reminder, listeners, uh, with these new topic-based episodes, 
not only can you submit topics, but if you are interested in a topic, the reason we tell you what the next topic is going to be is because we want you to contact us if you're interested in being on that episode. Um, we really want to get uh, those of you who are interested in a particular topic on that topic episode. So please, when you hear the next topic and you're interested, shoot us an email. Um, and the way you can do that, you can go to our topic submit page on the main site, alohamore.mugglenet.com, to suggest a topic and we give you the opportunity to say whether you would like to actually be on for that topic or not. Um, plenty of topics to cover. We don't have a lot of submissions for uh, nearly for things that could run the gamut here. So please send in your topics. Um, if you have a set of headphones and a recording program on your computer, as well as a built-in mic or a separated mic um, to plug into your computer, you're all set. We do not require any fancy equipment to be on Alohomora, so we please ask you to join us on these discussions. And between episodes, you can find us in one of our many social outlets, such as Twitter, at AlohomoraMN, Facebook, we're facebook.com slash OpenTheDumbledore, our website, of course, is alohomora.mugglenet.com. And, just like Ariel did at the top of our show, you can send us an owl, uh, you can send an owl to our audio boom, which is uh, also found on our website, alohomora.mugglenet.com. Click on the little thing that says audio boom on the website and try and keep it under 60 seconds. We'll have to punish Ariel for not doing that. Um, but uh, nevertheless, it was wonderful uh, that she submitted it, and this is getting no, no, no. She she gets she and... gets privileges because she being her, she's <laughs> like Dumbledore. MuggleNet is hiring, <laughs> and so if you want to work for the site and get the same privileges uh, as Ariel did on her audio boom, then come work for us, and then you can get extended play audio booms. It's a plug for MuggleNet internships, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and one more time, we want to remind you listeners about checking out our Patreon and thank our sponsor for this episode one more time, Crystal Hoover. Thank you so much. It's important that you, the listeners, help us out with this. We really appreciate it because that's what keeps Alohomora going. Um, you can sponsor us at patreon.com slash Alohomora for as low as a dollar a month. It doesn't take much to keep Alohomora going, but we really appreciate it because that allows us to continue these discussions beyond the chapter-by-chapter uh, chapter discussion we were originally doing into these great topics that you suggest. But mm -hmm. for now... We will wrap up this discussion, and thank you all once again for listening to this episode. I'm Michael Harley. I'm Eric Skull. And I'm Kristen Keyes. Thank you for listening to episode 206 of Alohomora. Open the Dumbledore. Sweep is as lucky <laughs> as lucky can be.
Chim, 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 Good luck, whoa, whoa, Shakes hands with me. Oh, blow me a kiss, and that's lucky too. Uh, um. So someone has posted a new clip to your channel, The Owlery. It has been queued and is waiting moderation by you. You can view your pending clips at <laughs> 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 17809.